0: subs into my eye. Is today a good time to die? No. Dave and Chris
1: Of Dopey is brought to you by our very good friends at Oro Recovery. They're located in sunny Southern California, in Malibu. John Bucati just did an amazing event there. They have a spot in Western Los Angeles. They were created by our good friend Bob Forrest and his friends, Evan, Jared, and Bob. Their mission, to help drug addicts and alcoholics by means of compassion and connection rather than control. What a beautiful dream it is. Their team has decades and decades of experience in treating co-occurring mental health disorders, including severe mental illness. They care about helping you. We have friends that have been there. Our friends all said the same thing. They were transformed by Oro. They have amenities you wouldn't believe. Sound bath meditation, equine therapy, the potentially spiritually transformative Sweat Lodge, and so much more. If you're fucked and you're willing to go to sunny Southern California and change your life, check them out at ororecovery.com. Read the reviews. They will not steer you wrong. All right. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by the Hell Has an Exit podcast. But more importantly, it's crazy exciting because I'm going to travel to South Florida to do an episode of Hell Has an Exit with Teddy, where I will tell my story with Teddy. And if you guys haven't listened, you have to check out the Hell Has an Exit podcast Teddy interviews recovering addicts, people who have spent decades in prison for wrongful convictions, and has an exclusive sit-down interview with Sammy the Bull Gravano, dropping this week that you're not going to want to miss. I don't want to miss it. Check out the Hell Has an Exit podcast. It's available on all platforms, and you can find the videos on YouTube. Check it all out at hellhasanexitpod.com. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by customstickers.com. I love stickers. Do you love stickers? Do you want stickers at a really good price that come really quickly that are really high quality? Then go to customstickers.com now and start sticking. Use the code dopey 20 and save 20% off super cool stickers. I believe in stickers. I believe in customstickers.com and I believe in you. So start sticking. Here's the show. Hello and welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. My name is Dave. And uh, I'm very, very happy to be with you guys. It's crazy. Lots of shit is happening at once. I woke up this morning and I got a text from Margaret Cho with a video of her and Mark Marin sending a message on video. I just put it on Instagram. I'm going to play it now. Hi Dave,
0: we're, we're, uh, we're checking in. Are you okay? Are you taking care of yourself? We just want to say hi and we, uh, we love you. We love you and we're concerned. No, I'm not concerned. Are you concerned? Well, I'm a little concerned usually. Oh, well. But I'm sure you're okay. Yes. Yeah, and I'm sure the podcast is going to blow up really soon. It is blowing up. Yeah, it is. <laughs> we uh, want to say hello to Dopey Nation and uh, Toodles for Chris.
2: I wore my
1: dopey hat today.
2: At
0: the gym. Bye. Bye. Isn't
1: that so nice of Margaret Cho and Mark Maron to send in a message like that? I can only imagine what uh, Margaret said to Mark Maron to get him to do that video, but I do appreciate it. And that was Margaret Cho at the front of the show with the dopey song. You know, I swear these dopey songs, they make me feel so emotional, so much sentimentalness. When she says shout-out to Fentanyl J, my stomach just drops. I went and I saw J this weekend. I went by his restaurant. He's not ready to do the show yet. We're, we're trying to get through some rigmarole, and then hopefully we'll have J back on the show with lots of news, lots of new J content coming up. So get ready for that. Brace yourselves. Let's pray for Fentanyl J. Hashtag Pray for Jay. Hashtag fentanyl, whatever you guys want to say. Um, Also in that song, Margaret, of course, says toodles for Chris and is it odd or is it Todd, and it's very emotional. And I had this crazy thing happen that I need to share with you guys, which is I have—I basically have one sponsee. I I have one sponsee, and my sponsee I think just celebrated like 30 years of recovery, but I took him through the steps— and his father in law died. So I went to his father in law's wake this week. And he was, it was an old Irish family, and he had an open casket. And the last time I had been in a room with an open casket was Chris's funeral. And I was just thinking about Chris the whole time. And I was thinking about Todd a bit, and I was thinking about my mother a bit. I had to identify her body when she had died and it's just there's a certain thing about seeing somebody who died seeing a dead body that is jarring and scary but also it's a reality of life that we're all going to be going down that path and I thought about you know it was my dad's 80 it's that my dad's 80th birthday this week so let's just give a big before but, before we go to uh, the morbid place that I'm about to go, let's, my dad is doing very well. He's healing very nicely. His mobility is up. We had a party for him over the weekend. All right, now back to the spooky story. So I'm at the week and I'm just I'm thinking about all these people who died and thinking about a lot about Chris. And, and I don't talk to Annie, Chris's girlfriend very often. I, I, we might text a couple times a year, usually around Chris's death or around DopeyCon, but we're not, like, in touch. When I get out of the wake, I see that she had texted me, and then I look at my phone, and it says, so fucking weird, it says, I asked ChatGPT to write me a love letter from Chris of the Dopey Podcast. And ChatGPT, if you don't know, is this AI thing that can basically have artificial intelligence produce you something creative. And for whatever reason, at that moment that I was in the wake with my sponsee's dead father-in-law thinking about Chris, Annie asked ChatGPT to write her from Chris. And then the, the message that ChatGPT Chris wrote Annie was not very Chris-like. I can read it to you, but it's not it's not particularly Chris-like. Hold on, I wasn't planning on read it, but I might as well read it. Okay. Chat GPT Chris says, How's it going? It's Chris here from the Dopey Podcast. I know it seems it might seem a bit out of the blue, me writing a letter like this, but hey, that's how I roll. A bit unconventional, a bit raw, but always real. And right now I'm feeling something real for you. I've spent a great part of my life talking about the gritty, the rough, and the real. I've shared stories that are sometimes dark, sometimes funny, but always honest. And that's what I want to be with you, completely honest. Because honestly, you've kind of turned my world upside down, in a good way, I mean. You see, in the midst of all the chaos and the craziness, you've been like a beacon of light. You've got this incredible strength. I didn't read this when she sent it to me. It's kind of freaking me out. I just was so freaked out that she had written me at all at that moment with a a message from Chris. You've got this incredible strength, this resilience that I admire so much. It's like no matter what life throws at you, you've got this ability to smile, to laugh, and to keep moving forward. And to me, it's just wow. I love the way you listen to my ramblings, the way you're not just hearing, but really listening. You get the chaos, the recovery, the journey, you get me. And that means more than you can imagine. Your support, your laughter, your empathy it's like you're the, this beautiful melody in the sometimes distant or dissonant symphony of my life. This is now I'm getting very emotional. I don't want to get too sappy here. You know that's not my style, but I do want to say this. You mean a lot to me, more than I probably let on. Your presence in my life has been a game changer. You've made the good days better and the rough days bearable, and for that I am so grateful. So here's to you, in brackets, your name. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm.
1: (laughs) To your strength, your kindness, your incredible spirit. Here's to the laughs we've shared, the stories we've swapped, and the journey we're on. I don't know exactly where this road is going, but I'm damn happy you're on it with me. Stay strong, stay beautiful, and stay you, because you, my dear, are absolutely amazing. Till the next podcast, Chris O'Connor. Oh, my God. And it's like, I'm not like a big supernatural type. But how does that even happen? That's some fucking is it odd or is it Todd shit right there. But I had to read it to you. I had to tell you that story. It's crazy. And other crazy news, my family is going to Disney World tomorrow. It is now Sunday for the Friday show, and I never do it like this. Like I always do the Friday show on Friday or Thursday if I'm really prepared. Right now it's five days before the show, and it's it's very uncomfortable for me to be this ahead of schedule. So when you're listening to this, we will be finishing our Disney vacation. What do you guys think about that spooky wake Chris business or Mark Marin and, and Margaret Cho sending the message? Lots of messages coming in into the doposphere. I feel really, really, really good about what we're doing and when when something like that happens with Chris I'm not like a big I'm not a big supernatural there are no coincidences person but I have to say that when Annie texted me that message I felt like Chris was reaching out I know it sounds crazy I know my father's somewhere right now rolling his eyes but it just seemed too weird I told Linda the story, and I I don't really talk about this much. Linda's been working as a facilitator, like a therapist, who helps people who are in grief over suicide and overdoses. And she said that the people she works with often see signs like this. And I, I think maybe I ignore a lot of signs, but this sign was just too crazy. So if you're out there and you've suffered a loss and you see signs, send in the sign. We want to hear about your sign. Send an email or a voicemail to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. And because of the Disney trip, I'm not going to be able to, to do shipping this week. So if you count on getting something this week, think again. You will get it next week. And don't let it make you crazy. But if you do feel crazy, I need to say that this episode of Dopey is brought to you by BetterHelp. Do you feel like your life is more chaotic than you'd like it to be? Try going to Disney World for five days. Are you looking for a roadmap to support? Did you make any kind of crazy resolutions that you've already not followed through with? Well, it is a new year, and it is time to get your shit together. And the greatest way to get your shit together, or a great way, is through therapy, because therapists help you make a roadmap to being more sane. It is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. Therapy empowers you to be the best version of yourself. And it is not just for those who've suffered major trauma. It is for everybody. So if you're thinking of starting therapy... Give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Celebrate the progress you've already made. Visit betterhelp.com slash dopeypodcast today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash dopeypodcast. I fucking love the BetterHelp ad. Makes me feel all fired up to be better. Do you guys feel fired up to be better? How are you guys fucking doing? Do you guys prefer emails or voicemails? I have emails, I have voicemails. Here, I'm just going to read an email now. We will play voicemails later. This email came by the way of our printer, SRO Prince. He just sent it to him, and Brandon sent it to me, and we've got new shirts and shit coming out, so check out the DopeyPodcast.com store. Anyway, the second time that I overdosed, I died twice in one day. I had been going to a methadone clinic for about two and a half years, and I was being dosed at 130 milligrams every morning. I went to detox to kick the methadone, which I called liquid handcuffs. (laughs) Very original. Anyway, liquid handcuffs because you can't leave the city for more than a couple of days at a time because if you missed more than two days of your methadone dose, some pretty serious withdrawal symptoms would surely be hitting sooner than later. So I went to detox for 14 days and had the hardest kick I had ever had on any opiate by far. After I came home from detox, I was clean and sober, but I was not working a program or attending meetings. Needless to say, a few weeks later turned into smoking a little weed, which turned into taking a little Suboxone to get high. And a few days after I took the Suboxone, I decided to get some H, but I wasn't going to shoot it like I normally would. I was just going to sniff it because I knew that my tolerance was not even close to the level that it was at whenever I was a daily IV heroin user. When I got the dope, I could tell that something was off because it was neither a powder nor a tar. The best way... A tar. It's funny. Nor, nor tar. The best way I can describe it, it was the consistency of Play-Doh or Silly Putty. As soon as I got home, I went to the bathroom and I fixed up a very small line since it had been some time since I had last used heroin. The next thing I know, I am waking up on my bathroom But f- how do you snort the Play-Doh? I am waking up on my bathroom floor with two or three paramedics standing over me and asking me questions. It is sad to say, but my very first thought was not, thank God I am still alive, and it was not, oh, no, what did I just put my mom and my family through? But the first thought that came to my sick, addicted mind ...as I was coming back into consciousness was... ...that was some fire dope, and where is the dope... ...so I can hurry up and hide it from the paramedics. So I take a ride in the ambulance, which is a very relatable story. So I take a ride in the ambulance to the hospital to get checked out... ...all the whole, whole entire time. I could not wait to be discharged from the emergency room... ...so I could go home and do some more of this fire-ass dope. My mom brings me home from the hospital and she said as soon as we got home that I went went straight into the bathroom, and she said it wasn't three minutes later, and she heard me crash out (laughs) hit the floor again. The next thing I know, I am waking up again on my bathroom floor in a puddle of sweat with the same two paramedics standing over me while one of them was rubbing their knuckles really hard into my sternum in order to wake me up or get some kind of reaction out of me. As I am coming back into consciousness again for the second time in less than six hours, I hear one of the paramedics with a stern voice asking me, what the hell are you doing, man? Are you trying to kill yourself? At that exact moment, all the pain and suffering that I had been putting on my family for all these years rushed over me as I bursted out into tears, and I answered the paramedics, God, no, I would never do that. I thank God every day— For another chance at life, and I thank God for those paramedics who saved my life twice in one of their shifts. Stay strong, Dopey Nation, and toodles for Chris from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I wanted to leave this Dopey overdose story on a voicemail, but I could not find the voicemail number. I don't even know this guy's name, which is interesting. Oh, no, I do. It's Mitchell. It's Mitchell. So thank you, Mitchell. You get Dopey Socks. Mitchell writes that he's interested in the Dopey Zoom meetings. There is a schedule posted on Instagram. Check out Instagram. The Zoom meeting address is... I have it. I have it somewhere. The Dopey Zoom meeting address is 804-300-586. The password is tootles, all in lowercase, The schedule is posted on Instagram. It's also in Dopey Nation Facebook. It's also on Dopey Podcast Facebook. Just go to social media, search out Dopey Podcast, and you will get hooked into the free world of Dopey Zoom, 25 meetings a week. And if you want to join Dopey Patreon, I do a Zoom meeting on Wednesday, and there's tons of extra Dopey on there. Thank you, Mitchell. And also send me your address because you get Dopey Socks. And if you guys want to buy Dopey socks, just let me know. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by Mountainside Recovery. If you know anything about Dopey, you should know that Dopey started at Mountainside Recovery. Chris and I met there in 2011. Mountainside is an incredible place to meet friends, but it's also a more incredible place to get sober. They have a full continuum of care, which includes detox, residential, long-term residential, outpatient and coaching programs. I was just at the mountainside New York City spot and they were doing yoga classes. This place has you tapped into your recovery. In fact, this episode today, we have the mind, body and spirit guru, Tuan, who was a crystal meth addict on Dopey. So if you are interested in going to Mountainside because you're fucked and you want to go to Connecticut, you go to mountainside.com slash dopey or call them at one 833 4922 I get fired up to do Mountainside ads too because it makes me think of uh, me and Chris wanted Mountainside to sponsor us back in the day. And now now that dream has has come true. Somebody should write Chris on chat GPT and see if he's happy that Mountainside is now a sponsor on Dopey. I bet he is. I bet he is. My favorite Dopey clip is when I tell the story about trying to get Mountainside to sponsor the show, (laughs) and me and Chris have the biggest laughing attack ever. I, I usually play that on the Christmas episode, so look for that. Maybe I'll just put that on Patreon after I'm done recording the show. For those who do not know, we have a huge event on January 30th, which is coming up like in a few days, or maybe it's today if you're listening to the show, but, oh, shit, my dad's birthday, I guess, was last week because the show comes out on Friday. My dad's birthday is the 24th, so put it on your calendar for next year. Our event is at Peoplehood on 17th Street in Manhattan, Reserve your seat now. It's basically almost sold out. We're doing the event with The Phoenix, so go to thephoenix.org and go to events, and you'll find a dopey dry January with The Phoenix at Peoplehood, and Hank Azaria will be there, Chloe LeBranch will be there, Ray Brown, and a smattering of dopes. My dad will not be there, though, so if you're going to see my dad, don't come. But please come. There'll be free food, too. All right, I have a voicemail, a duster voicemail from Tempe. But before I get to that, I need to say that this episode of Dopey is also brought to you by the good folks at Diamond Recovery. We're so excited and grateful that the people at Diamond Recovery like us enough to sponsor the show. They believe in what they're doing and we believe in what they're doing. They are on a mission to help as many friends as possible who are dealing with addiction. They have spots in Georgia and Florida and California. So if you are in the South or the West and you need a spot to go, Diamond Recovery is the spot. Their website is diamondrecovery.com. They have a hotline. They want to be there for addicts. Call them. Day or night, 24-7 at 844-909-2525. It is Diamond Recovery Group. We're so grateful to have them be part of our community. And everything I've read about Diamond makes me just want to relapse and check it out. I'm just kidding. Relax. They say they take a hospital and put it into a hotel room, and that just sounds so relaxing to me. Here is Tempe on Duster.
3: What's up, Dave? What's up, Dopey Nation? Tempe here, coming at you from Charleston. Beautiful day. Figured I'd hit you with a little more dopey. Um, these are some stories of when I was huffing duster. Those are like the most intense hallucinations I've ever had in my life. But uh, started out, basically, there was a period of time where I lived in this condo in Greenville, South Carolina... Uh, with no power and no water. Like, I lived there for, like, two years. Nothing. I would walk to Walmart pretty much every day. Or whatever store. And, uh, grab Duster and Sweet Tarts. And that's, like, what I survived on. Was fucking huffing Duster and eating Sweet Tarts. And, I mean, I was a garbage head. So, like, anything that you had. It, my main thing was Roxy's. But anything you had, I'd fucking do. So, um... One time I was, uh... I was sitting in one of the rooms in the house. There's, like, no furniture and shit, so I was, like, sitting on the floor in one of the rooms, and um, I'm, I'm hitting the can pretty fucking hard. And I, um, you know, I hit it, and I look to my right, and, you know, I'm just looking at the wall, and then I look to my left, and there's President, uh, it was Vice President Joe Biden at the time. There he is, sitting right there, like, clear as day. He was waving at me, he's like, doing thumbs up he's not saying anything but dude, like i swear to god he was there and i'm tr- i'm like holy shit it's joe biden what the fuck i look to the right again look back to the left vice president joe biden is getting dragged out of my window by like navy like spec ops black ops or something and like i start fucking freaking out and i pick up my phone and i'm dialing 911 about to call them and tell them that uh President Vice President Joe Biden is getting kidnapped from my apartment. And uh, you know, luckily the came to came out of it thing, you know, luckily I didn't actually call nine one one and say those fucking weird things. But yeah, that's one crazy hallucination I had on Duster. Another one I was sitting in a room in my in that same condo and I had like a little tablet that I could watch TV on. I was watching some nature show about like a condor, like about a big bird or something, and it was dark. It was night in the house, and I had like lanterns and fucking candles to light the shit. So I, um, I'm looking like down the dark hallway of the condo, right? And there's this weird, eerie music playing on the on the tablet, and like I'm looking down the hallway, and at and out of nowhere, all of a sudden, this giant life-size bird starts barreling down the hallway, flying down the hallway at me. And it in it, it, it comes into my room and it encases me and I can't see. And all I can hear is like flapping, like wind and wings, like flapping. And I'm screaming, screaming, like freaking out. And, uh, you know, a couple seconds go by and everything goes away. There's nothing there. Uh, cops ended up coming to the condo for that one because yeah I guess you know the neighbors heard me screaming freaking out but um that's just a quick couple little uh, dopey stories for you Dave um I hope you guys out there in the dopey nation anybody struggling reach out if you need help too many of us dying out there man um stay strong dopey nation me not say toodles
1: Tempe's a long time dope, hitting us with the Minase Toodles. That's how you, I think you can really draw lines in the sand. And another political hallucination. Have you guys ever had hallucinations of being with politicians? Because you remember the Bill Blaber meth story where he was eating with the Obamas. Maybe that's a fucking thing. I don't know. Thank you, Tempe. I've been hearing from Tempe for years. I love to hear your voice. It sounds very professional too. Do you have some sort of professional setup? Are you a musician or a podcaster? Let us know. Give me your address. I would love to send you some dopey socks. We have a big double header this week. We have local dope dopey superstar Lenny from the beach giving us an update to where he's at. And it's a very, very serious place where he's at. He told his story on the show a few months ago, but he left out some really important information and he shares it today and it is jarring and then we are joined by the mountainside guru the mind body spirit guru tuan and he was a meth addict as well not that lenny was a meth addict but boston 2% was a meth addict and boston 2% has set the dopey charts on fire and tuan after this is very confusing tuan's going to be after lenny tuan has a, a meth history but a really, really beautiful recovery story. And Lenny is in hardcore recovery, but he's facing some trying times. So there's it's a full spectrum of dopiness this week on the show. And before we find out what the fuck happened to Lenny from the beach, I just want to say that this episode is also brought to you by the great people at Discover Recovery. Discover Recovery just might be the greatest place to go in the Pacific Northwest, which we all know is a region that is historically underserved. It was created by our friend Chris Paulson, and Chris Paulson isn't a flashy guy. He isn't. He, he, he's a hard-working, program, steady-eddy, sober guy, and all he wants to do is serve his people and he makes sure that addicts are treated well. They have two spots in the Pacific Northwest. They have luxury accommodations, master's-level therapists, substance abuse disorder counselors, psychiatric services, much more than anything else in the area. It is the spot to go if you're fucked and in the Pacific Northwest. And I love this quote by Chris Paulson. I'm not great at selling, We operate with integrity, and you personally know one of the co-founders. I do, and he's a good dude. Check them out at discoverrecovery.com, and Chris said it to me straight up. Have them check out our reviews. People who come to Discover Recovery do well. Check them out, discoverrecovery.com. Thank you for supporting our show. And now it's time for Lenny from the Beach. (laughs) Okay, so I'm sitting with Lenny from the beach.
4: Lenny from the beach.
1: Hello. How on are a you? snowy day in Lake Grove, New York. Yeah. And your father is lurking around.
4: What is he doing? I don't know. He's weird. He smokes a lot of weed.
1: That's nice. I used, I love smoking
4: weed. Did you? I love. Weed. Yeah. yeah. That's a great He's a uh, pot poker in politics. The three P's of life, you know. Yeah,
1: I was taking my mother-in-law to have her eyes she was getting laser surgery on her eyes and lenny called me with his uncle and his dad and said dave you think you could help us do a podcast <laughs> <laughs> i was like yeah it's gonna be about politics mm-hmm. i was like i was like get to work yeah and do
4: consistency you have- yeah we set it up we got a uh, Velani vision on uh, twitch and all the uh platforms You know, we didn't really, like, make any content yet. But all accounts are made, you know. My dad, he's into the poker and the politics, and um, I don't know, he's having a hard time pulling the trigger and just making the content and staying, you know, and just doing it. Well,
1: everybody, anybody who's ever been a true pothead knows it's really, really hard to get anything done consistently besides eat, get weed, smoke weed, and play Video games games or poker. My girlfriend
4: bought me the uh, Nintendo Switch. Mm. I was uh, delving deep into Pokemon. uh, One of the new ones, dude. I was going. I went ham, bro. Me and
1: my five-year-old play uh, Super Mario Brothers Wonder.
4: I have that. She, my
1: my little girl, loves that
4: game. Yeah, my girl's been uh, my my daughter. She's been uh, playing uh, Mario Party with us. But the Mario Party that we bought has. All of the Mario parties in it from like Nintendo 64 and up. You know? How is that? It's pretty cool. You know, it's like the same concept, all the mini games and whatnot. But it was, uh, that's what we used to do in my family, is we used to sit there and just play, you know, Pokemon Puzzle League and uh, Mario and Donkey Kong and all these games. It was good uh, bonding, I must say.
1: So is that a good game for a five year old,
4: though? Uh, I, don't, I wouldn't say it's a bad game. I mean, it's better than them watching YouTube videos, don't you think? You know, I mean, When I was a kid, the video games kept me out of trouble, I must say. And and then once I stopped playing video games, that's when the shit hit the fan, you know? Do
1: you think there was a correlation between not playing video games and getting into trouble?
4: Uh, I think there was 100% correlation with the video games and me getting in trouble because I realized that uh, I was so addicted to video games, you know? I would live my life like through my World of Warcraft character from like the age of, I don't know, 12 to like... 18 you know but like obviously at 16 years old i found drugs a little bit and i stopped playing but like for those i played for so long bro it was crazy
1: the glorious years are the years the beginning drug years while you're still doing the game Mm -hmm. because your imagination is like on fire
4: everything becomes very real Mm -hmm. in that moment did you ever get into any like massive multiplayer online games like that
1: no but i mean i we played we just played video
4: games like at friends houses yeah yeah. play like uh Mortal Kombat and shit.
1: We would, we would play Mortal Kombat, but what would we play? we play NBA Jams. Oh, yeah. Oh, we would We would, like, get wasted and play NBA Jams or play, like, we would, I mean, I'm much older than you. When we played Nintendo 64, mm-hmm. would, there was a James Bond game. I'm going to be 50. Get the fuck out of here. June 1st.
4: Are you serious? Yeah. 50? Yeah. Man, yeah. you look, you're young. You look young, bro. Thank you. I'm 50 years old. How old is your daughter? Five. Five. Yeah. Wow. I know. I'm wow. Too old my for daughter's that. older than yours. How old? Well, she's gonna be six in March.
1: My daughter will be six in
4: May. Okay. So yeah, your daughter's a little older. Oh, it's crazy. My uncle, my dad's brother, like my daughter's older than his daughter. You know. How old is he? He's. Uh, I'm closer in age with him than my dad is. So like, there was points where I was living with my uncle. We were partying together and shit. But uh, pretty sure he's 42 somewhere in that age. That's range. Your,
1: That's your young podhead. Uncle. Uncle. How old well, are you? Well, you know what's
4: crazy? I'm 29. I'm going to be 30 March 29th. Um, it's crazy. Uh, I mean, I don't really want to get too much into his business, but he had um, a little bit of an admission. Well, a lot of bit of an admission to me, and he uh, admitted to me that, uh, you know, he needed help, which is cool, you know, and uh, but I, I don't know. To me, I can't relate uh, you know, m- my life goes off the rails on other things, you know, I never really like totally decapitated my life with marijuana. I mean, I always progressed to something else, you know, mainly because of I don't even really correlate it ever with marijuana. It's always drinking for me, you know. Like, even in the beginning of my recovery, I was able to, like, string along a little bit of just smoking pot. You know, just smoking pot. And then, like, I just started getting you know, I don't know, bad thoughts and anxiety. The weed's too strong, and I think they're spraying the shit out of it, bro. It's like, I think that's what made my uncle go crazy. It's crazy. I think, like, one in, peop- one in ten people have, like, a bad effect of marijuana upon them. You know, I've seen... I've been in the garage with a couple of people in hit the bong and all of a sudden they're like turn green and just like drop to the floor you ever had that happen
1: no but i have seen tons of people just start looking at you cockeyed yeah and then just because they're sure something is happening that isn't really happening Mm, mm. you know that horrible weed paranoia yeah yeah which is like i i never had weed paranoia i i i never had the only issues i had with weed is i wouldn't be as motivated as i wanted to be Mm. And I also would never have a day without smoking.
4: Yeah, I I could relate to that a lot. I mean, usually I'm smoking blunts every day, joint. It doesn't matter, at least, yeah.
1: Now, you, Lenny came on the show and and talked a lot of crazy stuff, and people loved you on the show. Yeah, so I'm happy to have you it. back. Thank you. Um, but there's a lot of stuff that you didn't talk about, and I I could see you already getting nervous. <laughs> I see you getting nervous. We don't have to do this if you don't want to do this.
4: No, I'm not nervous. All right, good. Definitely not nervous. No. Nah.
1: But like there's major shit a brewing. Yeah. And um and I, I mean we talked about fentanyl and we talked about friends dying and we talked about ODing. And we talked about you turning up in the rooms and, and I, I know you just got ten months.
4: Mm-hmm. oh yeah Yep. Looking great Ten months thank you how do you feel i feel amazing i definitely feel really good i it's really i i must say that it, it has came pretty easy to me t- this time around because like i've ceased fighting you know you always say we cease fighting you know and um but i, I still have the mental uh you know, abuse I give myself because of my actions and like I may I may not pick up a drink or do drugs sometimes But my behaviors still seem like I'm sick, you know And that's the weird thing about alcoholism to me is that like once you put the drugs down Put the drink down and I'm I realized it's not too long ago at 10 months sober Like I could still fuck my life up without even drinking or doing drugs, you know It's important to maintain that spiritual connection to like guide you, and um, thankfully I haven't lost that throughout the way. You know, I mean, there was definitely some times that, and even still now I question it. You know, like what it, what is, you know, you're talking about? I got some shit going on. You know, I fucking, I potentially could be going to jail right now. You know, I got into some trouble, and as a result of my my drug addiction, you know, and I, I was never able to never able to move past it, and unfortunately, it may sa- I may need to sacrifice some time. You know, and go take care of what I need to take care of. But at the end of it, you know, I'm going into it with a sober head. I haven't cracked yet. It may not even happen. You know, it may not. I don't know. Maybe I'll get lucky. God will come swoop in. But uh, like the way I'm depicting it right now is that I got to go put aside four years on paper is what they say. So I guess I don't know how like what equates to what like with good time and time served and shit like that but you know i just have to like i do this one day at a time and unfortunately right now it's like telling somebody no well not necessarily to the most you know but like telling somebody you're gonna die you know i'm like almost just waiting for the day to go to jail you know and i'm just trying to have that uh it's 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 not good well, you know
1: sometimes like if i have to do something i feel like it's gonna be forever mm. But it isn't forever. No. You know what I mean? I I get that experience a lot, actually, with... with, I don't get it with good stuff. I never feel like good stuff is going to last forever. Mm -hmm. I feel like good stuff is going to end as soon as it starts. Mm -hmm. But bad stuff, I feel like it's forever. And when we talked last time, like... You know, I absorbed your story, and I was like, "Wow!" And you were like, "Yeah, I didn't even mention any of the felonies I (laughs) committed." And I was like, "Wow!" And and I was like, "Well, what? What? Well, maybe next time." And you were like, "Yeah." And then we were talking, and you were like, "Yeah, I'm I'm down to start Mm. talking about."
4: Well, you know, the the whole reason I'm like real, like I didn't realize it at the time. Like when I first started coming around, like all I wanted to do was get help. You know, and now I feel helped and I feel healed. You know, and now. Like, eventually somebody like me who was 29 years old or whatever, younger, they're going to face some jail time and they don't know how the fuck they're going to get through it. And you know what? I, I'm somebody that could relate and I may be able to help. And even in there, you know, like, unfortunately, like, me going to jail isn't God's will. You know, like, Lenny's will gets him jail time. Like, that's what happens when I don't follow the path, you know. And uh, I've learned that the hard way, unfortunately. But, you know, there's so much shit that has happened, all the drugs and this and that, and, you know, like, I'm lucky I only got four years. You know, I could be fucking, you know, I could be real fucked right now.
1: But it could be God's will after you, I mean, maybe it was Lenny's will, and and I struggle with my will, God's will. Mm. Like, I I have a hard time making sense of, like, what it means and, and, like, what reality is when we go down a path like that. Mm. But if you want to go down that <laughs> path. I think it was, if you want to break it down to Lenny's or God's will, it was your will when you're out there mm-hmm. and, and, and doing whatever you did to get busted, and it's and maybe it's God's will if, if you have to go do time, because you don't know what good can come of that. But I want to do a, a Lenny, this is your life of felonies. So tell me about the first felony you ever got convicted.
4: Uh, I don't have any felony DWIs. That's good. Um, I do... Uh, they're just all, like, really, like, massive possession charges and uh, multiple of them. But I only had six and, I don't know, I guess I missed court or something. I lost, I, I don't know, I lost track of time because, you know, I was getting blitzed, wasted. You know, and uh, I missed court and then there was, like, double the charges. now. I, I don't know how it works, you know, but it's working itself out, but... You so know, what's the
1: charge for the four years?
4: The uh, cocaine sale and possession of uh, a controlled substance. One of them was an A, an A felony, but I got that drop down. And um, the rest of like B's and D's, you know.
1: How much were you selling out here and how difficult or how, how much was it selling to use and how much of it was selling for
4: money? All of it was selling it to supply my habit. You know, I never was, uh, I never really was a good drug dealer because I always did my, did the drugs, you know, like I would always convince myself to, you know, all right, I'm going to do this, let's make some money, but it never ended up that way, you know, I was such a disgusting drug addict, you know, I just, uh it developed over time and this this last like two three years of my life it was really bad with the heroin in the crack and uh the fentanyl you know that's laced in everything you know and most of the time i was basically just looking for fentanyl anyway um because that's where my disease progressed to you know and oh I, I almost if i didn't do fentanyl like heroin wouldn't even make me feel better you know like, so you
1: did you prefer in the end you preferred the fentanyl to the heroin
4: uh yeah because I knew I had a better chance of dying you know i was, was just, that
1: why what about the high
4: the high um definitely was i mean it's it's similar to heroin but i re, it's like a really dirty feeling to me you know like i don't know when I used to do a lot of blues like that was a clean high you know it was just very a I pharmaceuti- a, a pharmaceutical pharmaceutical
1: pure blue high yeah so give us pharmaceutical blue heroin fentanyl the comparison, because I never even did, I never did blues or fentanyl, and I did a million different
4: kinds of dirty heroin. In my so in time. the beginning, all of them are great, you know, like they all make you feel like incredible. But the problem is, they like the the amount of it that you take over time tolerance. needs your your tolerance needs to be it's it's so astronomical. Like that the at the end of it, like I was buying like five grams and like. I would blow through that in a day, you know. Sometimes a couple of hours, you know. I Five
1: grams of, of of fentanyl, or like when you're doing like, I want to hear like, were you ever just buying straight heroin? I, I remember I, I
4: was buying heroin, but it was. Um,
1: when does it turn from heroin to fentanyl out here?
4: Well, the like two two thousand i i remember like it almost was like non-existent overnight you know like you cannot get dope and then fentanyl came in and i remember hearing that on the podcast i was like whoa you know that, that that's so true because it, it was basically that's i mean that's how it happens you know like how do you get somebody addicted to these drugs so quick you know it just that you got to implement something that it, it's the devastating that shit. you know one hey i don't know i i never overdosed either like and I, every day I'd walk out of my house. and be like, I don't know if I'm fucking coming back today. You know what I mean? Uh, and obviously sometimes I would care and, but most of the time like the obsession was just so fucking So much greater than anything else in this world. I would always like I don't know dying seemed like a great idea But I knew the pain it would cause and I just wanted to die every day though You know, like, I can never tell you how I felt. I, I didn't know how to get out. I felt trapped, you know but the difference between, like, a pharmaceutical, I really, it's been so long, I couldn't even really tell you. I mean, they all used to get me, like, really fucked up, you know. The um, yes. the, this, the blues, I, the problem is, is just the tolerance. You know, f- fentanyl gets you whacked with a little bit. You know, and over time you do it, and all of a sudden you got to do a shitload. It's like the same concept as anything, but fentanyl was like really dirty to me. Heroin, I don't know, I could just never get enough of it. And blues, I was always sick because I couldn't get enough of those either. See, I bet you out here,
1: everybody was, was hooked on blues. That's how it And happened. then the supply runs out, and then Cut. everyone's hooked on dope. And then they replaced the dope with fentanyl and nobody talks about it mm. until people start dying. dying. And then it's like, no, you've been doing fentanyl this whole
4: time. Mm-hmm. And it just comes out like that.
1: When, um, when you started selling, were you selling at your folks house or did you have a spot?
4: No, I, it, it was, I would always just grab for me. You know, I never like did anything out of here. Like, I was, I'd be at the bars and shit. And that's how I, that's how I got back. I fucking was fucking wasted one day and I was doing blow in the bathroom. And, Fucking, I think I got set up, but I. Why do you say that? I just when I think about the situation and the way that it went down, fucking, I think that this other kid got in trouble, and ended up giving pinching you up. me up. You're giving me up, you know, to because it was weird. You know, I the randomly go to the bathroom, and I've been ha- I was having problems with that kid before, and I, I don't want to say his name or anything, but he. <laughs> It, I just randomly go into the bathroom, and there was two guys, and I had, I couldn't, I didn't know better to, to, to ask anything, you know, I was, and I got this guy's number, and I didn't fucking give him anything for months, you know, and then finally came the day I was so desperate that I just fucking was like, whatever, and they got me on the first one, they strangled me all Wait, the way.
1: explain that to me. Explain, explain the bust, and explain. I didn't understand what you just said.
4: So I was at I was at Flanagan's one. It was like a, during the day. It was like two or three o'clock in the afternoon. I was drinking after work one day. Or I don't know. I'm pretty sure I didn't work that day. Or I don't know. I was getting high and drinking all day, whatever, at the bar. So I, I told my friend Mike I was going into the bathroom to go do a bump. And he was like, Oh, okay. You know. I went and left, and while I was doing that, I ended up doing the rest of my bag. And thank God I did because. You know, then when I walked out of the stall, there was two guys standing there, and they asked me if I had anything, and...
1: You were just chilling in the spot. You were drinking. I was drinking, drinking yeah, and
4: I went to the bathroom. Yeah.
1: How could you not have been set up? Like, what are they doing in the bathroom looking for you? Yeah,
4: yeah. Well, like, how would you know? I just went in there to go do that, you know?
1: So you didn't have
4: anything on you? No, because I just did it all, you know? And I said, oh, no, the kid outside, he sells shit, you know, you could ask him he didn't and then i remember i was uh going through you know and one day i was like i got this guy you know he's been breaking my balls for coke blah 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 and um he was like urging me to sell it to him you know and i didn't realize that until after the fact that i and then the kid disappeared you know he just kind of fucking left and never heard from him again and stupid situation he fucked me really bad you know but i can't sit here and cry over it what am i gonna do you know (laughs) So, but I'm
1: still, I'm still like, I'm having a hard time connecting the dots. You're in the fucking bathroom. There's two cops. They're like, "What do you have?" And you're like, "Nothing."
4: No, they they were undercover detectives. Like they were just pretending to be normal people, looking to looking Looking to score to to score drugs. Mm. You know.
1: And then you're like, "Oh, I know you can get coke out there." Yeah,
4: out there. And I ended up taking the guy's number because. I don't know, I used to just wheel and deal, you know, there was always people I could flip shit to, and I just wasn't thinking at the time, you know, I didn't ever, I thought I was untouchable, it was crazy, because I never even crossed my mind that this guy would be a detective or not, you know. So then what happened? Um, I ended up, so then came the day he convinced me to, my friend convinced me to sell to the guy, he ended up getting it for me, and, uh, I sold it to him a few Why times. Why
1: did your friend convince you to sell it to the guy? Because you just figured it was easy money.
4: Yeah, he was like, "Oh, it's easy money, bro. If you're not gonna get it, somebody else will. So you might as well."
1: Was the cop texting you like, "I need this. I
4: need this." Yeah, over over a, over a long period of time, and I just like had a fucking weird feeling about it, and I should have trusted my gut, but I was just so desperate that I went through with it, you know.
1: Over that period of time, were you constantly like making small deals for him?
4: Mm-hmm. Well, that's how it started. It started off with a gram, a gram, and then an eight ball, an eight ball, and then a quarter.
1: Did you ever get high with him?
4: No. I tried to give him a bump one day, and I didn't think anything of it. You know, he was like, oh, no, I can't right now, or whatever. And I was like. Was he buying Coke, or
1: was he buying the fentanyl?
4: Coke, Coke. Right,
1: and it's like. It's like that old thing where you're like, I remember when you're a kid. You're was,
4: like, uh, I don't do it, you know. I just sell it. I'm like, yeah, okay.
1: But when you're a kid, you're like, you're like, if I ask a cop, if they're a cop, they have, have to say yeah. yes.
4: And he said, and then he said no. I like, did, he you I did. He said, did you ask him? Did What did you say? No, I'm not a cop. So
1: you offer him the bump. He doesn't do it, and
4: you're like, what are you? fucking I said, up? you're not a cop, right? You know. And he was like, no, I'm not a cop. You know. And I was like, take a bump. And he was like, no, I can't right now. Blah blah blah. I don't really remember what he said. It was right in my fucking driveway. You know. It's scary. Yeah.
1: And you're fucking, you have a fentanyl habit at the time. Mm-hmm. And you're smoking crack. Yeah. And you're basically selling whatever you can so you can use.
4: Yeah. Uh, that's 100% how it was, you know. At the time of that, I'm pretty sure I was addicted to the, the little fentanyl blues, the fake ones. Really, really bad. I was doing like 40 of those fuckers a day. I don't know how the fuck I could even consume something like that. But that's that's what I'm talking about, The Unless there just wasn't that much Fetty in there, but I, you know, it was just, that's what I got caught up in at the time. I would get them cheap, and um, yeah, bro, it was a wild time. I'm surprised they made it out of there alive, you know?
1: I'm just thinking about, I just just remembered, because it's like, we've known each other for a little while, Mm -hmm. but I just remembered you when you just showed up at the beach, sick. Sick. And you remember, like, I don't know if you remember, but I, like, took you aside and I was like what are you, what's going on? Yeah, and you yeah. were like, I'm fucking, you were like fucking straight up in withdrawal. Yeah, yeah. Like, and you, you kicked like out here. Yeah. Right? You didn't I'd, go anywhere. No, nah, I
4: fucking, uh, I was the first, that's how like I knew this time was a little different. Cause like even when I was trying to get clean, like my, str- I would get like 90 days, you know, like I wouldn't get a lot of time, but like the, the periods of sobriety were getting longer. And then, um, this is the longest run I've ever had at 10 months, you know? fucking, uh, But I had that, like, complete, oh, my God, I'm so powerless. I'm going to go to jail for the rest of my life or I'm going to fucking die. God, please help me. But it was weird. Like, when, when I had that revelation, I was sitting in my room and, like, I didn't know how to get through it. I was like, God, please help me, you know? And, like, I realized in that moment that he was helping me, not the way that I wanted it, but it happened. And that's what started my journey with the spirituality, you know, and... Now I've been, uh, I don't know, it's been a pretty good journey. Even though sometimes I can't understand it. And that's, I'm a control freak. I need to control everything. Right. And fucking like, and understand, understand how understand things work why. and
1: what are the signs and yeah. why is this person acting like this mm-hmm. and, and why would I possibly have to go to jail. Mm-hmm. Tell us about the when they finally busted you.
4: Uh, yeah, yeah, I was actually going to get blues that day. And um, the I, I went to stop at uh, 7-Eleven on Patty Holbrook over there. And... I don't know. I just got rolled up on by fucking ten cops, and I don't know. They... Hold up.
1: You see your dad texted. You. you want to text him back? I'm like worried that he's nervous for you that you're in this. We went into the house. Uh, we went into Lenny's dad's house. Lenny's dad's Lenny's dog almost killed me, and we decided to record in the car. But now Lenny's dad, I don't think knows that we're
4: recording. And no, he, he must
1: think we're getting high. Yeah, so I'm a cop, and you're selling me fentanyl or something.
4: <laughs> That's <laughs> so probably what it was Did you write him back? Yes I said What, what are you talking about? I'm on a podcast
1: um, Alright So tell us in, Give us as many details as you can Of this horrible moment of your
4: life Yeah I fucking uh, I was driving I'm texting I'm starting to get sick You know And then Yeah um, hmm. Basically, everybody at my house didn't know where I was. I just disappeared for the day because I ended up getting rolled up on at 7-Eleven. I, I forget what time it was. It was like maybe 12, one o'clock. And I just pulled, I was going to get a coffee. I pull up on the side of the building and like six of them swarming. me. And I get ripped out of the car. They destroyed my ex-girlfriend's car at the time. You know, I took my phone and uh, I tried to smash it on the ground. They ended up getting it. Why and,
1: did you try to smash the phone?
4: Oh, because, I don't know, I just, uh, (laughs) there was shit in there, you know, and who knows what the fuck they were going to do, and they ended up actually keeping my phone, and my lawyer had to fucking get it back for me, you know, I don't know, I guess. I
1: wonder, is that a thing, that you smash the
4: phone and they can't find shit? Well, I'm sure they could take a card out of it yeah, or I'm something sure, like that. Yeah, I'm just, I'm But really I don't know. At the time. Had you
1: heard know, that that was a good move? I've
4: seen it. You know, like they always break in the phones in half and shit. And it was a little fucking. Uh, it was one or, of those little like, flip phones. Yeah, yeah. Yeah yeah,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. I've seen yeah, and t- TV shows they 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 break the phone. Yeah, yeah. They're like smashing it. it on the ground, and they yeah. still got into it. Yeah. But so when was the they last time they were ripping time? the
4: glove box and shit out? They ripped all this shit out, this and the doors. They they were looking for shit and they didn't find nothing because so, I was going to get it.
1: But was the dude the undercover dude involved?
4: No, I just got picked up by regular cops that day.
1: But you didn't have anything.
4: No. So what no, but they w- were bringing me in for questioning, you know. And uh I don't know, I guess I wasn't under arrest at the time and I don't know some bright idea came into my head to ask him if I was under arrest and they said no, you know, and then I uh walked out of there. It was like the fucking craziest thing. They drove my girl's car there and everything and then they told me to fucking come to court. And here I am.
1: But they never got you for some huge amount of drugs? Well,
4: I ended up selling the to the detective, and that's how they got me on the possession and the sale.
1: So tell us about the last time you sold to the detective. What did he buy?
4: Uh, he bought, like, uh, 30, 34 grams of Coke. Was but, that way more than he had been well, buying? Well, I didn't. No, because he, got, he went from one gram to, like, an eight ball twice, then a quarter, and then... Uh, a half ounce, and then he got over an ounce, you know? And I wasn't thinking anything of it. I'm just thinking, because I, I was charging him fucking, like, $70 a gram. I was, like, salvating I'm like, oh, I could get so many blues. You love this guy. Yeah, you know? And uh, basically, uh, yeah, I got fucked. It wasn't worth the money, and <laughs> here I am, you know? I'm going to have to pay the consequences because of that, but... It's so, all right. You live and you learn. You know, I, I try to like, like, oh, why did this happen? You know, but if I never went through all that, I wouldn't be this guy I am today. You know, it's a weird concept to try and grasp onto, but it's freeing for me, you know, in a way, because eventually I'll do go do my time or whatever the fuck I got to do, and uh, I'll be done, you know? Well, like, the most
1: disgusting part of the whole thing is it's like you're a drug addict, mm-hmm. right? You're fucking selling drugs so you could do drugs, Mm -hmm. and they're like cops, and they're like, oh, this fucking junkie Mm -hmm. needs this money to get drugs, so we'll buy more coke from him, and we'll pay (laughs) through the roof, and and it's this weird, sick game to get you to bring them More. more coke so they can get you on a worse charge Only so you can really get well.
4: Yeah. You know, and maybe, like, whatever. Like, you didn't get rich Like, if they fucking sold me the—if I sold them the first one, shouldn't they have fucking rolled up on me and fucking— Yeah, why not? Like, what is that? Why did you need to string me all the—like, did you want a promotion or something? Like, I don't know. It didn't make make sense to me.
1: What do they get out of of buying more and more coke in bigger amounts over periods of time?
4: Well, anything, anything over 28 grams is an A felony. It's all the same charge, uh, whether I was selling an ounce uh, or fucking a kilo. It doesn't matter. Anything over 28 is a fucking a felony anyway. And I guess, like, the principal— And I, I could—sorry, I mean to cut you off, but I could do a fucking whole ounce of coke in one night, you know? So it's like it fucking didn't even— And they wanted to give me 20 years in jail.
1: How did you get—I mean— It was
4: my first offense. I like, got a good lawyer, you know, and he but fucking— But they
1: fucking—they set it up where, like— they're not you're not going to get a good charge off a gram or an eight ball mm. so th- and they want to make you comfortable mm. so they're they're buying quarters until they do this crazy yeah. big buy
4: makes it's crazy the 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 concept of it you know it's like i, I don't know you knew i was i mean i looked horrible when i was going through it, bro. i was so beady-eyed and sunken in and my bones were sticking out man there was no you were very very
1: you were very sickly and and skinny. When I met you, was that right after the bust?
4: Mm, no, it happened a a little a little bit ago.
1: Before that, and then you're just yeah. using kind of on uh, like on parole. And mm. Shit. Mm. They put you on parole. No, we're no. just waiting for the case.
4: I'm just I, I was waiting. It just like went on for mad long. You know, just I, and there there was things you know that were going on. But then it ended up being that I can't fulfill anything for them, so they kind of, uh, you know, now the decision is for me to go to jail.
1: What's the longest time you ever did in jail?
4: Nine days.
1: And what was that like?
4: Um, it was crazy it was it was a definitely a reality check but, but basically i chose to go there i got a dwi and they wanted to give me five years of probation or 90 days in jail and like i was like five years 90 days i'm probably gonna fucking fail anyway you know i was in i was in a bad way <laughs> you know I, that was when i was living at my uncle's house uh, we were down in Patchogue one night i ended up uh I don't know, I I didn't really have that much to drink. I was doing coke that night, too, you know, and I didn't really feel that drunk. I drank a Jack and Coke and a beer, and I was like, all right, I'm bouncing out of here. You guys want to come with me? You know, and my uncle came, and I don't know, I went to go change something on the radio. I fucking swerved a little bit, and whoop, whoop, cops, and got taken in that night, and that was prolonged for a while. I have no idea right now why I'm in court for so long, but... Where did you do the 90 days? Yeah, bang. And what was that like? Um... It was, well, in county, it's a little, it's crazy. I was in the Diwi trailer, though, but for the first two weeks, I was in general pop and tents, and um, it was wild. You get, like, bunk beds all around the room, and uh, I don't know, I was gambling and playing a lot of cards. I ended up getting into some shit with these Spanish guys. They uh, tried to G me out of some money on the table, and I just wasn't having it, and I was like, if they fucking take my money... I'm gonna look like a, such a fucking pussy, so you know I had to make a fucking big problem over it. But it ended up not escalating, and they ended up giving me my buy-in back and shit. But it was basically did you
1: have the the poker tag yeah. at that time? Yeah. So they yeah. knew you were a fucking card, serious card, card player. shark.
4: Yeah. Card player. I love to play cards and gamble since I'm a little kid. You know. I mean, my dad. But Dave comes in and my dad's playing cards on the computer. He's on a poker club. You know.
1: You and your dad play cards together a lot.
4: I used to have a bunch of games at my house. Yeah, my mom would deal. And uh, we would pay her to deal. You and know, your sister tip her. too? My sister plays every once in a while. Not really anymore because, you know, she, I don't know. She doesn't like the My mom actually is on a bar poker league. Um, and she's a dealer for the league. And basically it's like bowling or darts or anything. You get points and whatnot. And, uh, she, you know, she loves it and loves to play cards. My dad, you know, he's in it too. And basically what the club is is you could win a seat to this big tournament that the whole Organization runs in Vegas it's a big tournament. You can win like a hundred thousand dollars or some shit My mom actually won a seat wow. to the tournament, which is cool. My dad's a fucking has-been he, uh, he he's actually one of the he's the best card player out of all of us But he can't he couldn't get a seat. So it's like an ongoing joke, you know every, my grandpa who you know He's not the greatest card player, but my dad has been trying for like the last three months can't get it, you know Sometimes that's the way poker rolls, you know you get bad beat on the river this that yeah man so what are you thinking like four years
1: you did 90 days um what do you know about the difference between four years and 90 days in terms of being in a in a facility like that
4: well i feel like once the iron curtain closes on me you know i'm done you know like i have no choice but to go and do that time you know so i'm kind of like preparing myself to get to that that day you know i don't even know if it's gonna I, like maybe some fucking the godly experience will intervene i really hope so but you know i don't know right now i'm not really in the best thinking of myself or thinking i'm deserving of second chance and i'm almost attracting it i know mentally no
1: that... it's you i don't think you have anything to do with it i, I think like you hired a lawyer mm. the lawyer pledged your case the best they could mm-hmm. they negotiated it to hear mm-hmm. it's like that you're in God's hands. Yeah. You yeah. don't have a say. And it's not about... Mm-hmm. You've already done the bad thing. And yeah. now it's like you'll figure out what the punishment is. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, the most important thing is that you do it and you stay spiritually connected. Mm-hmm. And and then and it's easy for me to say, well, I'm not going away for four yeah. years. You know? Mm-hmm. um, But you'll be able to help a fucking shit ton of people.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I mean... I, I mean, even 90, I mean, I, I was always a family guy you know like i was always around my mom and my dad and it's not that i'm like codependent on them but you i probably i are totally I, co-dependent. I love them I, I love i love my i love my parents i and love you my have family a little kid. and i have a little daughter you know and i don't know my grandparents are getting old i may fucking go away from, you know and who knows i don't know if i'll get 4 years i know it's capped out at 4 years who knows what good time and time serves cuz i know when you're doing 4 years you got to go upstate it's not like you are doing 90 days in county honestly i feel like not like once i get into a routine up there, And I'm working out And I'm like spending the days reading books And like cutting my day at 9 o'clock And getting the time to go by Like I'll get into like
1: Whatever uh, that life
4: Whatever that is, you know And hopefully it goes by fast I know I'm going to have to do a lot of meditating And searching for God And uh, you you know even What better place to, uh, you know yeah, exactly. Be a be a songwriter or something. You know, I love to write songs and sing music and do shit like what a better place to really buckle down and talk about the heartache you're going through and things like that. That's what I love about music. You could like take out all of your emotions that you're having and write it in songs, different keys and this and that, you know. I've been having a lot of fun with garage band on the computer.
1: How scared are you?
4: Uh be honest. I wouldn't say that I'm scared. It just, I don't want to have to go back to being a savage, you know? I mean, i am it's just very unfortunate for me. I guess I'm feeling a little sorry for myself, you know? Because I know I'm better than that. Well, you know? what
1: does going back to being a savage look like in this situation?
4: Well, I mean, hopefully i I get in there and there's not a whole bunch of people that are trying to cause problems with me, you know? Dale, jail could be a dangerous place, you know. And I don't know exactly where I'll end up. And a lot of this, I mean, really in reality, I'm projecting all this. That's why I say I'm almost manifesting it. But I, I'm just trying to face the reality of my situation. You know, everyone could like, not you in particular, just people in general. Be, oh, it's gonna be okay. Yeah, like you said, you know, it's hard. To it's fucking easy sit for someone some... to say. I was it's like, you know, to okay you're gonna. Well, I'm going home. Yeah, you know, but,
1: but you've been around. Uh, obviously, you've been around recovery for mm-hmm. a while. You've been around a lot of people who've done a lot of time. Mm. Do you talk to them? And do, do people advise you on the best way to do time soberly? Does anyone say this is what I think mm. you should do?
4: They they keep uh, recommending me to the jail and a, uh, AA in, in prison like books. I I haven't picked it up yet, but you know it's a, there's there's people that stay sober in jail. You know, thankfully I'm going in there at at. 10 months sober but still man you know like i never thought at 10 like i always dreamed of having lo- like some decent amount of time sobering you know and i never thought that when i finally got it you are gonna be sitting in jail you know but i've also had a lot of freedom these last 10 months which i'm very grateful for you know like in you know in the big book how it says like basically that when you think of all the bad things the bad things increase when you think of all the right. good things that i'm having such trouble right now thinking that things are going to be okay, you know. Cuz I my daughter, you know, my 6-year-old daughter, well, right before I go away, she's going to turn 6.
1: We don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. We do not know what's going to happen. No, sir. All we know is like at 3:30 you're going to pick her up from the bus. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And and I I mean like you don't need to be scared or whatever. I'm scared for you. Huh. Um it's a, it's a scary proposition. But It's also like, what would using in jail look like? Mm. Do you have any idea? I don't even know
4: if I could do that. Like how
1: do they, how do people even do it?
4: I don't know, I'm, I'm pretty sure that, like, crack and shit like that is fucking smuggled in through their asshole, you know, yeah, so, yeah, like, yeah. for me to have to go... So I
1: bet you there's a lot of asshole Suboxone. Yeah. Suboxone, well, I bet cheap. it's really easy, easy to smuggle in.
4: They're, they say that Suboxone is the easiest thing to get in there, but I'm sure they smoke weed, I'm sure anything, if you want it. You know, I don't know how heroin addicts that shoot shit fucking get in there. Don't they make, like, makeshift fucking syringes and shit? So
1: they, they call it the, the, oh, my God,
4: the, the binky. The binky, right? Yeah, Yeah. the binky
1: is the handmade syringe. But dude, you go if you if you get time, like Mm -hmm. if this happens and you have to go in, you have to do everything in your power to not relapse. Mm -hmm. Because obviously, going in with time, it would be very hard to use. Yeah, it's such a pain. I'm sure it's so expensive.
4: even, Even now, I think about it. You know, like well, not that I think about it. I'm saying like when I think about having to use like i don't even think i could bring myself to do it because i've worked so hard to get to where like i actually truly feel like it is not worth it now
1: it isn't worth
4: it. it's not it's like
1: what the fuck are you gonna get except misery misery you're not gonna get some like it's not gonna be some heavenly fucking experience you're gonna get higher than you'd like Mm -hmm. you know i mean the last time i did heroin i hadn't done heroin the last time i did heroin i hadn't done heroin for a year like thereabouts, like 11, 13 months or mm-hmm. something, and I hadn't done it. Smoked a little weed, took some pills. I was like, oh man, like I was taking a little Percocet. Mm-hmm. I was like, maybe, you know, I really liked how it felt. Yeah, it like, yeah. I missed the dope. You yeah. Know what I mean, and I and I had somebody come over with some dope, and I, I shot a bag, and I I didn't feel the bag, so I was like, fuck it. I'll and do sh-. another one. I said I'll do two, mm-hmm. and I hit the two, and I got I I. I got uncomfortably high. Yeah, like it didn't feel. I thought good. you
4: were gonna die, type. Yeah, mm-hmm. I
1: just felt like shit. You know, like what it's like yeah. to do dope when you don't do it. Yeah, and it, like takes Sick. over you. Yeah, it, it, uh-huh. and and like that's what it would be. Yeah, you know, it wouldn't be like some heaven. There, is, I mean, like I mean, in terms of relapses, like I, ecstasy doesn't sound bad to me. Like I like I always liked ecstasy. Yeah, me like, too. But I mean, there it's like. Not with this shit hanging over your head. No, it's like the, the the best you can do, and it's annoying, is you fucking keep doing what you can mm-hmm. for yourself, for your family. I mean, you have a fucking family tattooed on uh-huh. your arm, this one, one yeah. of these arms. Yeah, <laughs> well,
4: I looked at the wrong. Yeah, and
1: and you have this beautiful daughter, and you have this beautiful girlfriend,
4: and you have. Mm. I mean,
1: it's like, dude, it's like it's easy for me to say, but
4: if you do it right, it's the last hump.
1: It's the last hump The last and, hump. and you can finally stop fucking dealing with
4: it Yeah bro I've been dealing with it for like fucking uh, It's too long bro And it's just it, It's like finally I forget about it And then somehow it creeps back You know it's like that fucking naggy ex-girlfriend that, you know. <laughs> But Because it's not going away Yeah yeah It never goes away you know But this is I finally for the first time in my life I actually feel like I'm taking the step in the right direction To actually move past it you know, I I used to run away from everything, and now, you know, what we do is we gotta conquer our problems. And for I mean, it's still hard sometimes. It, it I can't even I can't even function sometimes. I just want to lay in my fucking bed and do nothing. You know. So what do you do in those
1: situations?
4: Those situations, uh, I mean basic shit like move. I, I like to work out i notice when i'm feeling sorry for myself and shit like that i drop down do some push-ups get my blood pumping and uh you used to do that at the meeting a lot more than you do now yeah yeah got cold out and then like i kind of slacked off a little bit i liked working out in the summer on the beach you know just listening and getting my works out i was getting pretty shredded and then my my um My weights in my backyard, I don't know, they got eroded. They were like concrete weights that I guess my dad made a while ago. And I used to like pick them up and throw them on the ground. Like when I was done with them and one time it hit a rock, cracked in half. So I'm down a dumbbell, uh, down (laughs) weight. Need to get some new shit. I never buy new new things for myself. You know, I'm always working. I've been paying this lawyer off for so long. I've been, you know, now they just whack me with $7,500 restitution. I'm like, well, I gotta pay you $7,500 to go to jail? What the fuck? You know, after I just paid 30 grand to a lawyer. Who do you have to pay the 7,500 to? I guess to the court or the government or wow.
1: some shit. I'm sure that the lawyer fucking lowered that fucking.
4: But that felony, you know, that felony gets dropped it puts me into a whole different category, and I, if I gotta pay the seventy five hundred to knock off fucking a sixteen years, sixteen years, you know, exactly. So you pay it. It's it's a weird situation. When I talk about it, you know, I keep having these little realizations. Like, all right, well, you could be doing sixteen years, you know, like be grateful. You know, maybe this is God's will. You know, maybe God does see fit for me to go there and help some fucked up people that are in there. What a better place to buckle down in recovery and help people right in the fucking trenches of it all, you know? And, and you're going to be able to help a shit ton of people when you under, get out yeah.
1: from the experience. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't make it easy and it doesn't make it okay. No. And it doesn't make it, oh, that's a good thing then. It, it's just what it is. Mm-hmm. And like, if something good can come out of this horrible
4: fucking thing. Mm-hmm. Then that's fucking good. I mean, that's the that's that's the hope, the hope, the hope right there. Is I, I and honestly, the, the peace comes from being able to try and turn the situation into a positive, you know, because really. I mean, like I said, it's the last hump, you know, like, and it's like the last part of the race. And then life is a fucking never-ending race until you drop dead. You know, you're always going to be coming over trials and tribulations and humps and fucking divots in the earth. Oh, my God, I fell and broke my ankle, you know. Holy shit, I got to put the cast on, you know. And then this then you got to heal over there. And then this is finally the last the last straw right here. But uh, I'm uh, now I've got a taste of what my life can actually be like, you know. So I'm, like, looking forward to it but there's still this last uh, this last lap, you know? I mean, it may only be two and a half years or something like that. Maybe it'll be less, less than, than that. that. Or if I serve some time, who knows? Maybe COVID may come back around. And they'll fucking release me. I don't know. Maybe I'll get lucky,
1: you know? I think not knowing has been the hardest thing. That's... Not knowing, mm-hmm. getting it put off, put off, put mm-hmm. off, because it's like, what the fuck is going to happen? Mm-hmm. And it's also like, well, when am I? when can I actually live my life? Mm-hmm. Because I have this thing in front of me so I know that I can't like get a place. I can't do this. I can't do I may that. May not even
4: be able to get a job. I may be stuck trying to open up businesses. I mean, the last time I was on here, I was talking about the unicorn book. I didn't really take any, you know, new steps with that. You know, I was supposed to like, you know, actually advertise the thing, and I kind of just got caught up in working because I needed the steady money. I couldn't pursue any of my businesses or, or my dreams. I
1: Listen, you're gonna get to pursue your dreams with or without, you know, whatever happens here. Yeah, I, I have great faith, and right, again, yeah. it's easy for me to say. But I have great faith that you're gonna have a great life. And Thank you're gonna you. you're gonna be able to be
4: And you're gonna be there along the way, brother. Well, I'm around. Mm-hmm. I'm
1: around. And um you gotta get your kid. Yes. Um but let's do it again. Let's just chill next time yeah. and do uh dopination emails and shit. And and this morning you saw me lose my mind at a meeting.
4: Yes, yes. Let's talk about that. Let's let's talk about that. So, like, uh, ha- well, what do you want? to? give us
1: give me your perception of what happened today. Well,
4: here's another I was actually up in the nook and cranny of the stairs, so I thought he was talking about me and thankfully he wasn't. But I was chairing the meeting. Today. Yes, he was uh Paint he was, the
1: picture, Lenny, please.
4: He was chairing the meeting and I don't know. It happens to me too. I kind of, but th- there was a lot of like side meeting chit chat going on in the room. In the room, yeah. And uh, I mean, Ray always has outbursts. I, I love Ray, Ray the, the clamor. Ray it's- the clamor. Yeah, he was on here,
1: right? Yes. Doug spilled some coffee. Fucking Ray is talking shit.
4: Yeah. Other people are wandering around talking. Yeah. They go talk in the kitchen. Yeah. To fitness conversations. Ken can't whisper.
1: Ken, Ken, so loud. Yeah. And I and I got upset.
4: Yeah. But you didn't like really yell, you know. I think you, uh, you know, took your share, and you kind of just laid it down. Like, I mean, it is you're you're the chair, you know. You can you gotta say if you know, you know, if you see anybody have any mini meetings, you know, please tell them to take it outside, and um, and then Doug screamed at me while I'm sharing. I didn't know he was actually being serious though.
1: I don't know if he was either. Yeah, he
4: said, "You don't make the rules, yeah, David. Yeah, yeah, yeah." yeah. I didn't like that.
1: No. And then after the meeting, I was all shook up. Were you?
4: Yes. They, you were actually really shook. You didn't look that. Nice I was up. I was upset. I don't like. I don't like that. It irks me a little bit too. I mean, actually, one day I was on the beach and uh, I think I forgot who it was sharing. Donald or something. I don't know. And Kevin came up to me and started yelling at me and was like, "Yo, you know, this guy's fucking sharing." You know and saying that he wants to kill himself and i i had no idea like somebody was talking to me i wanted to sell a tile job and i'm like money 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 and this guy's talking about wanting to kill himself an old man kevin yelled at you kevin he was like you know we listen to you when you talk and i you know it was actually something that i needed to hear because it actually put into perspective that you know, people need to recover around here. Social gathering is nice, and but I think right now, everybody's in the, in the uh, you know, the winter, we're getting fucking yeah, stirred not, up in the house, yeah, you know, yeah, and totally, this and that. Totally. And uh, we're all on top of each other in that room, at least on the beach, it's beautiful, you know. It's, uh, you
1: can have a conversation and no one can hear you for the most part on yeah. the beach.
4: I mean, me and you go, we walk yeah. uh, over to the beach hut, we walk down the beach, whatever, you know, you could talk. Sometimes, actually, when it you are a little well not you in in particular but if you're close to the meaning you could you could hear it every once in a while but not really um in that room though it's like acoustic it's like the best acoustic ever you know you get really trapped the sound in there It travels the sound know? is
1: bouncing off yeah. every wall now quickly gambling
4: addiction do mm. you believe in it have you ever had it uh I mean, I have it tattooed on my I neck. I know. But right now, like. Your sister used to talk about her gambling
1: addiction. Leanne in was the a. Meetings. Yeah.
4: She, I mean, I definitely was a degenerate gambler at points, but now it fucks with my spiritual. I think I said this last time. It fucks with my spiritual condition so bad that. I can't even do it and have fun. Like, my mom, I was talking about the um, the poker league. Like, yeah, yeah, I can't yeah. even do that. It's $10, why? you know, for points. I don't know. I just, I'm just too competitive, bro, and I hate losing, and it, I, I feel like a loser. And then when I really think about it, like, why am I gambling? I gambled with my life for the last 13 years, you know, and so I was basically playing Russian roulette, spinning it, and missing the bullet for 13 years. Like, I don't know. That's some run, you know, and I, I, I don't know. I I feel like I've used all my luck. I'm lucky in other aspects of my life. Winning is just not at money at gambling is just not one of them. You know I think I've won gambling one time. So tell us about the day you tattooed the heart, the spade, the club, and the diamond on your hand. I was running a lot of poker games at my house. Like I said, my mom. Did you was watch doing. the
1: movie Rounders?
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Good movie. Yeah. Definitely good movie. But uh, I went to the tattoo shop. And I was getting a tattoo of my daughter's initials on my hand with my ex, getting matching tattoos for her. And, you know, I was like, I was talking about getting my knuckles tatted. And I don't know, I just thought into my head because I was playing a lot of cards at the time. And there's four, you know, suits, the yeah, heart, yeah, yeah. spade, club, diamond. And I was like, ah, I'll put it on my fingers. And it it was much darker but i ended up i used to do a lot of landscaping for my job and it was right in the beginning of the season it was probably around like march or april yeah because lolly was born march 21st so beginning of april and everybody was like shocking their pools and getting ready and i forgot that you know my hands were all dirty so i just went to go put my hands in the pool washed my hands off didn't think anything of it the next day i woke up dude and Everything was scabbed on my hand, my fingers. It was From the chlorine. Uh, from the chlorine and whatever, uh, the shock in the pool. Yeah. destroyed my shit. You know? That, crazy.
1: That is crazy. Yeah. Lenny,
4: thank you for your time. No problem. Thank
1: and you. And do you feel okay? Uh, yeah, I feel great. Dude, yeah. I think, like, there's a lot of people in Dopey Nation that can relate. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're doing an event. Oh, yeah. We're doing an event on
4: January 30th in Manhattan. In Manhattan. And it's free, and you should yeah? come. I know. I said that I would come last time. It kind of slipped. Come. I didn't. I didn't come, and I think I need to there redeem were, there myself. There were
1: ladies that were very interested in meeting you last really? time. Really? You don't remember that?
4: Oh yeah, that blonde chick. Yeah. I think there
1: was a couple. Yeah. Yeah. So ladies, Lenny might be, or maybe ladies shouldn't come. You have no. A girlfriend no, no, but an, I, I'm down
4: to do a little meet and greet. You know, I'm trying to get um get out there and be social. Come and... bring unicorn books. Yeah, I'll bring uh, with unicorn books. Uh, Lenny, thank you. Anytime, babe. Very cool, man. I appreciate you. And we're
1: gonna do another one. Soon. Yes. All right. Let's do it. Right now. Man, I love Lenny from the Beach. I love Lenny from the Beach. I love that honest fucking... You know, I hate that he has consequences. I love that he talked about it. And I I, I have a feeling that you guys will like it too. I know Lenny Lenny from the Beach, when he came on the first time, he, he got a strong reaction. And I, I can't help but feel that him pouring out his truth. We rarely talk about people pouring out their truth, but him pouring out his truth, I think will resonate with the good folks of the Dopey Nation. So let us know what you thought. Send in an email or a voicemail to DopeyPodcast at gmail.com. And we've been working with Mountainside for a little bit, and there's a lady at Mountainside named Anna, and Anna put together... Our first DopeyCon, and I love Anna. She is a tenacious bulldog of a woman who works at Mountainside. And she's like, Well, Dave, we would be, we would love, and she's also the lady I mock on the clip with Chris from back in the day when we talk about whatever doing ads for Mountainside. So I'm, I've mocked Anna historically for years on the show. I think I mocked her at DopeyCon, I think I mocked her at DopeyCon IV. Anyway, she's like, we'll do Dopey ads, but what will you give us extra for the show? And I said, I don't know. Maybe I'll do a segment with somebody from Mountainside once a month or something. You know, Maybe the Dopey Nation could use some good recovery talk. And she's like, okay, okay. And then I Tuan had done the sound bath meditation at DopeyCon IV, and it was incredible. And I had, I had talked to Tuan, and he was and is a recovering crystal meth addict. And I was like, you know what? Why don't I just do a talk with Tuan and we'll see what happens and, and, and maybe it'll be good. And, and we thought it was really, really good. And we thought it's a, a totally different take on addiction and more importantly, on recovery. So this is Guru Tuan. Maybe he's not a guru. Mind, body, spirit, runner. There's a different word than runner. Manager, coordinator, guru, of Mountainside Twan telling his story, sharing his experience, strength, and hope on Dopey. Here we go. Here's Twan. All right, so this is very exciting. We are in. Mountainside Chelsea where we had our first DopeCon. I feel very connected to the mm-hmm. space. And I'm with Tuan. What's your last name? Tuan Nguyen. Tuan Nuyen. I'm with Tuan Nguyen, who did potentially the m- best thing at DopeCon IV. Really? That was the word.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, check it out. Yeah. I remember how resistant I was. Oh to totally. The whole thing. Absolutely. And how <laughs> difficult the whole thing was. Mm-hmm. And then we were like, we'll just shove you into the second intermission. Yeah. But then it became very clear that the, the space needed you. Hmm. And then we were like, everyone sit down and shut up. Mm-hmm. And I think you transformed that room into a really
2: deep, mystical Interesting. space. Because when I was listening to everything that was going on, I was like, how does this even
1: fit it? I think we needed it. Yeah. Uh-huh. I think that event was so fucked up that (laughs) we needed a a, a wash of uh
2: of spirituality yeah yeah how did you learn sound bath in the first place i came to mountainside in february 2019 and i had no real training at all and as i was uh working with them i found a a nice little niche in the yoga qigong kind of a part of the department and they just trained me how to do it had you been into yoga and Qigong? Not really. I had just been practicing it and doing it off and on, but as I was getting sober on my own, I found that my own practice was really good and, um, and I wanted to start teaching. And that's what made me leave my previous rehab to go to Mountainside because Mountainside was a place where I could nourish those things and, and support me with that. So that's- I really love the holistic approach to, uh, to recovery and that was where my own recovery was uh, headed toward. When did you start doing yoga at all? When I was out in Seattle, still drinking and drugging, doing my crystal meth. Once in a while, I'd be like, hey, I got to go to the 24-hour fitness. I'm going to do a little bit of yoga. And every time that I did, I felt really good. All right. But gonna, it was never a, a consistent uh,
1: practice. I think it's very
2: interesting because Tuan runs the
1: spirituality mindfulness, mind-body-spirit program. At the wellness department, yep. Mm-hmm. And I've been to Mountainside, and I had Tuan did not run the mind-body-spirit program when I was there. <laughs> But I've always wondered how these people, mm-hmm. like you, yeah, totally. these spiritual—I'm mm-hmm. going to use air quotes—nobody can see, guru type, how does it happen, and how does you go from being a meth addict in in the Pacific Northwest to a spiritual guru in Connecticut?
2: When I think about it, I have absolutely no idea how it happens. I had no spirituality at all until I got to uh, to treatment, and I remember being in treatment. And it was one of those 12-step-based programs, and I looked at the steps, I saw God, higher power, and I said, I am fucked, because I have no spirituality in my life. And how am I supposed to turn my will and life over to something that I don't even believe in? And so the only things that really helped me was that um, AA said that we could find out no power greater than yourself, and it could be anything. And so when I went on a search for a higher power, I found yoga, I found meditation, Qigong, all these things that helped me just to stay grounded and find the peace that I think that alcohol and drugs have been given to me, or I've been searching for. Because I never felt comfortable in my own skin unless I was drinking or drugging. And then now as I am sober, I look towards the spiritual practice to do the same exactly that alcohol and drugs used to do. Find that peace in the chaos. When I was at
1: Mountainside, I'm very unflexible. Mm -hmm. So yoga was very uncomfortable for me. But I really enjoyed uh, the Qigong. Mm, And I would get up like, I I think I decided I like Qigong more Mm. than whatever the morning thing was. Yeah,
2: it was either sun salutations or Qigong. Yeah, Yeah. and I would do Qigong every morning. I hated Qigong at the beginning. It's because it's slow, it's very slow. And I'm really an athletic person. I thought it was just like a really, I don't know, weak sport. And somebody told me, well, don't look at it as an exercise, look at it as a moving meditation. And that just opened everything up for me because when I am doing Qigong, there is nothing else going on except for my hands. And I'm completely present. I'm looking all at the, all the movements and I'm shutting the door off to thoughts where a lot of my suffering is coming from.
1: It's also very psychedelic in
2: itself. A little bit. There are times when I've looked at my hands and been like, what is this that's attached to my body? I know, it's yeah. very weird having yeah. fingers. It's a very strange <laughs> phenomenon. When's the first time you, you got high? First time that I got high? Um, well, I got drunk first when I was in middle school, but when I first got high, I think it was around 23, 24, when I was, uh, when I was working as an IT uh, person in uh, New York City. A friend of mine had uh, had a problem with his computer. He asked me to come over and uh, work on it with him, and he had some weed, and we smoked some weed, and I was just like, you know what, this feels really good. But the only thing that I didn't like about weed was that it always put me to sleep. And so I would, could never feel like that just being, being high and then during hanging out with uh with those friends for a little bit i will remember waking up one night uh one one uh one session and i realized that they were passing something else around and they were passing around crystal meth and i was like can i try that and they're like no no not for you they were sniffing it they were sniffing it there was a there was a tray and lines and i was like what are you guys doing and they're like "Yeah, yeah not for you and i was like why and um and it felt like i was back into middle school where i was just being out. excluded yeah. and i was not among the cool kids yeah and then one night um one of his friends came up to me and was like do you really want to try it?" and i was like yeah let me see what it's like and when i did crystal meth for the first time it felt like i was superman and i could do anything i was like this is it this is what i need and, and that when, was here this was in new york city yeah when i was living in new york city yeah. now before
1: all that how much drinking was there
2: the drinking didn't get out of hand. The drink was more because I'm uh, I'm really shy and a an introvert, and so it helped me to go out and have fun with my friends. And uh, and I think I remember like the first time that I realized that there was something about me that I thought needed to be fixed was that um, I was hanging out with my friends and I wasn't drinking. And somebody said, "Tuan, uh, what's wrong? You're quiet." And I thought to myself, "Oh, being quiet is wrong. So I have to fix this." And when I started drinking, I was like, "Okay, this is it. This is make. This is gonna make me more of an extrovert. I can connect with these people. And now I'm not making other people uncomfortable because now I'm just like them. And that's when the drinking started, really. Right. You can be the way you think they want you to be. Exactly. Where did you grow up? I grew up in uh, Westchester County, Pleasantville, New York. Pleasantville. Pleasantville. Have you heard of it? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> On the Harlem Hudson line. Yep. yep. And what, what's the ba- what's your family background? We um, South Vietnamese. My dad and my mom grew up in Hue, which is uh, central Vietnam, and my dad was a pilot for the South Vietnamese Air Force. So he flew with the U.S. Air Force during the war, and um, luckily, we because of him, we heard when Saigon was falling, and they evacuated the men. They evacuated the women and the children first, and then the men went back to the base to fight the war. And unknowingly to them, the uh, Vietnamese officials decided to surrender that night. Didn't tell anybody, and they were there at the base just waiting for orders, and no one was there to give them. Wow, it's a good so, deal, though. Yeah. <laughs> and they started to evacuate as well, and my dad was just like, you know what, everyone's going, all this evacuation is going to uh, mainland Thailand, and my my kids and my wife are in Kansan Island. I don't want to go there. So he's walking around the base, he sees his friend, and uh, his friend is standing near his plane. My dad's like, do you still have the keys to your plane? And the guy's like, yeah, just want to take it. So they stole a plane. They stole a plane to get off the base. And, um, and the funny thing is that as they were Where were they leaving, going? My dad wanted to go to Kansan Island, but his pilot friend wanted to go to mainland Thailand. So my dad was like, "Well, it's your plane. Go wherever you want. But then they got shot at. And the, the fuel started to leak. And his friend was like, we can't make it to mainland Thailand. And my dad's like, why don't we go to Kansan Island? And so they went to Kansan is Island. Where is It's uh, off the uh, coast of Thailand. And all the um, and your mom was there. were you mom, you were born here, though? I was born there. I was eleven months old. Yeah, and I I, I keep on telling people like when I was eleven months old, I told people like it's too damn hot here. Can we just move to New York? Did right. I say- time, to, yeah.
1: It was, was, we got to get out of here. <laughs> I was a really good communicator for <laughs> yeah. eleven months old, and I totally. said it's time to <laughs> it's go. It's too hot. And so, how is it to grow up uh, Vietnamese in
2: Pleasantville? At the beginning, I felt like a normal person. My <laughs> And I keep on telling people this. Like, I didn't feel a lot of racism, and my friends were white. My people were very disappointed white. that you yeah, didn't feel a lot of totally, racism. Yeah, totally, exactly. And I, for a while, I thought I was white until it was, I remember the third grade. I came into class, and uh, my friend John comes in, and he says, uh, "I had a dream about you last night, and we were doing karate, and I kicked your ass." And I thought to myself, "Why would I know karate?"
1: Yeah, that's an interesting dream.
2: Yeah. Why <laughs> would I know karate? And I was like, "Oh, I'm Asian." I'm supposed to know karate.
1: That's when, it, and that's when it that started. was.
2: That was the first time that I felt like stereotyping and racism, and I was like, "This doesn't feel good." And so that I started to like list off things that made me different from other people, and I think that's where my social anxiety started. People were judging me. I thought,
1: "Well, it's like all of us, you know." I mean, I say all of us, meaning like addicts. We all have some feeling of not being yeah, part of totally. in whatever situation. Like yeah. for me, like. I felt very a part of in, until I had to go to summer. I had to go to summer camp, and mm-hmm. for whatever reason, I was like an alien at summer camp. Yeah. And and that's and that's the first time I drank mm-hmm. to relieve some kind of stress, and, and 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 it it did the job, but you know it's like it wasn't sustainable, and I I couldn't find sustainability mm-hmm. in, in in substance use until I found weed, and then mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I'm gonna do this. Yeah. So, but so you didn't drink crazy. in I didn't school. drink
2: crazy. No, not at all. I but I knew the effects of it, and so that's why I drank for effect. Whenever I needed to be a little more outgoing, I wanted to be social. fun, social, all of that. I was just like, it's time to drink. And even when I was in the, when I started working in New York City, I would be that quiet guy at, at the office. But I would tell myself, you know, once we get to happy hour, I have got to go there so they know who I can be and how fun I can be. Right. So but I, I had to wait. Right. Yeah.
1: Right. Because I can't do it unless I put this into my yeah. body.
2: Yep yeah it's crazy i relied on it so much i had no idea until i reflected on it yeah
1: and it's like for normal people they can do that they can as long as it doesn't make it so they can't do the other thing yeah so so you when do you find that you start not being
2: like a normal person when i stopped being like a normal person i I know that's a fucked up question no 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 because um Because I was a weekend warrior for a while with crystal meth. And I thought to myself, as long as I just do this on the weekend and it doesn't interfere with my work, I'm fine. And so I did that for about two years in New York City and nothing bad happened. And then I went out to Seattle and I sniffed a line in the morning. I told myself, this is just like everybody has Starbucks. This is my coffee in the morning. All I need is just to register myself one line in the morning. So you're here. Yeah. You've
1: you've, you've gotten into this little crew of people Mm -hmm. that do meth. Yep. And you do it on the weekends?
2: Just on the weekends. What makes you go out there? I had an anxiety attack at work. What happened? I had an anxiety attack at work. I was supposed to do a couple of presentations, and um, I couldn't do them. I just, I just like, freaked out. And um, there was drugs involved, of course, but I didn't think that there was. What were the drugs involved The in drugs that? involved, um, I was probably up for a couple of days. And then I did some Vicodins in the morning, uh, preparing for. Wait, the when did you start taking Vicodins? Uh, when I had pancreatitis, <laughs> and then uh, they gave me the pancre- they gave me the Vic- Vicodin, and I was just like, you know, what? that's the first time that I ever felt not feeling any pain, and I was just like, this is kind of cool. Right?
1: And especially mixing it with meth.
2: Totally, that's absolutely, amazing. I can stay up all the time. Absolutely, feel yeah. good,
1: mm-hmm. not feel yeah. totally. Yeah.
2: yeah, and I've always had a problem with my weight, so Vicodin and meth. What a great diet.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I was like one of the few opiate addicts that gained a shit ton of yeah. weight on the opiate. <laughs> so you have like a, 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 almost like a, an anxiety. I t- had a meltdown.
2: Absolutely. What does it show look up. like? What does it look like? Uh, my heart is racing. Um, I can't function and um, I'm not going to work. And so I called my, uh, a friend of mine and told her that, that I'm having this panic attack. I need to go to the hospital we go to the hospital and they said that I have a, I just had a panic attack and did they give you benzos? They didn't give me benzos. I can't remember I don't think they gave me much. I just know that uh, they said that I had a panic attack and uh, you'd be okay. Yeah <laughs> and I mean, because it didn't happen while they were they had seen me so they didn't really know what it was or what caused it. so So what makes you move uh, out west? I move out west because I realize that I don't want my life to be working like this. And I felt felt that if I go out West, I could have a nice little calm job. I, th- I thought that I was, I had this plan to just be a temp at different companies and just keep on working a little bit here, working a little bit there, and just, just keeping everything fresh. And the first temp job that I got, they wanted to hire me on as a <laughs> full-time, so it didn't work out. And that's when I started to do Crystal. Like once I did a line in the morning and then uh, a big project came my way and I figured that I needed to uh, be at work longer, do longer hours, and I started working around the clock on this project. And uh, the funniest thing is that I had two uh, timesheets. One had the actual time that actually worked, and like when I looked at that, I was like, "There's no way I can submit for this because I was working around the clock." And so I had to have a second one that was like pared down. They still owe me like two months of work, but I'm oh, <laughs> never gonna get never that. Gonna get that. <laughs> yeah. So, how did you find Crystal out there? I had a friend out there that um, she. She moved in from another from another town, and we were just hanging out, and we were, we were bowling. And um, she made a joke about she made a joke about um, cocaine, and she said, "Well, I do it like like that with the, the webbing of your finger." And I was like, "No, I use my key." And we and we both looked at each other and like, "You?" She's like, "You?" And so then we both went out looking for coke. Well, f- coke You really her. wanted the crystal. Coke won for her, meth for me. And through the coke dealer, we found a meth dealer, and that's when things worked out for me. And it was just one line in the morning until I got that project. And when I got that project, I averaged maybe three nights of sleep at work week. And I remember getting a standing ovation at my um, sales conference. And as I'm up there, I'm thinking to myself, look at what I just did. I did an entire project by myself while high. I'm high right now. Nobody even knows. I'm going to get a promotion. I'm going to get accolades, all these things. I'm going to get a raise. And imagine what i could do if i got if i did this even more and within a year i got fired
1: right no that sounds that sounds familiar (laughs) more 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 talk about if alcohol in the first place Mm. really helped with social anxiety insecurity what does crystal
2: do what does crystal meth do i should crystal meth for me promised me that i could be the person i wanted to be i could party the way that I wanted to I could do my job the way that I wanted to I could be completely focused and I can just like be this powerhouse and the funny thing is that I was a really good worker before I mean I have really good work ethic before and now I just wanted to be even more so for me it's all ego based there was just not I wanted people to know that I was the man I was at work all the time and that I could like put the company on my shoulders and just get things done Right, it's this untapped
1: energy source that doesn't ever run out never runs out yeah
2: so you get the
1: promotion huh?
2: and at that point is there any mind body spirit in your life none at all zero absolutely i used to uh long distance run while i was out in seattle once i started really do getting into the crystal meth i stopped running i ran three half marathons out there and i was just really good yeah until the crystal meth came and I was like, you know what, I'd rather just get high rather than doing all this other stuff. That's really good for me. The first two or three years I was out there hiking, biking, do all these great things that Seattle offers, and then at the end it was just closing the windows and just making sure that nobody saw me what I was doing. And what's what's the downfall at work that year? Like what, what do you remember happening
1: mm-hmm. like between the, you know, Superman yep. promotion period to the year out of here? Yeah.
2: I started waking up late for work. Um, The hardest decision for me during the course of a night would be, it's one o'clock in the morning, I've been up for three nights, and I asked myself, am I gonna stay up another night? And I'm thinking to myself, if I stay up another night, if I go to sleep right now, I'm probably not gonna hear my alarm. If I don't hear my alarm, I'm gonna do the walk of shame in the morning, at 10 in the morning, and everyone's gonna see, and uh, so I don't wanna get in trouble, so why not just stay up another night? And the nights that I went to bed, I did the walk of shame. People saw this. I was missing meetings. I was missing um, certain projects. I was a co- I was uh, doing community service. I would miss those two, and they just couldn't touch me anymore. Why were you doing the community service? For it was part work? of my job. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah, part yeah. of my job. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Outreach. It, and were, was the, the amount you were using going way up? It was going way up, absolutely. And I felt like I could only do these community events if I was high, because then I would be outgoing i'd be an extrovert and saying hi to everybody and that's the that's that's the that's the mentality i wanted when i was doing community service or how easy was it to get a hold of so easy everybody does it once you get into the uh once you get into the scene everybody knows who sells it everybody does it i even sold it for a little bit what's
1: to- the meth scene in the pacific northwest like
2: what do you mean what is it like i don't know i was never <laughs> I,
1: here like i did meth in los Angeles. Mm-hmm. I moved to Los Angeles from Florida, having never done meth. You know, mm. I was a heroin addict. And yep. I didn't even like coke, but my best friend had started doing meth when mm. I got to LA. Yeah, And so I would just get it from him. And then we met some character whose name was Diggy. Like he was like, if you look up meth addict dealer in the mm. encyclopedia, you're going to see his picture. Yeah, it was like totally. that movie Spun. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. a disaster. Totally. You know, mm. like Eminem bleach blonde hair shaved always wearing like a white t-shirt like mm-hmm. that's i think i've seen him once so i don't know if he was really like always wearing a white t-shirt but like in the pacific northwest mm-hmm. like how many people are you buying from like when you're selling who are you selling to what's that period I,
2: like i was buying from maybe eight to ten people because did you have time, to go out, or they came to you? They sometimes they came to us, sometimes we went to them, and sometimes we played them against each other because they would keep us uh, waiting. So we'd be like, whoever comes first, we're gonna buy from. Um, when I was selling it, That's it was only yeah, for, when I was selling it, it was only for about a year, and I was just doing it so that I can pay for my own drugs.
1: And you'd buy it by like the how, how if you if you sold it, how much would you buy? Um, Meaning, like you sell whatever, like sixteenth of of what's the yeah. teen? What's the measurements? Like a, of, I have
2: no idea. I just had a friend that would give it to me. It's like and the I would, teener. I think, yeah. was the big measurement of. of I I meth. really didn't get into that. Um, I just knew somebody who had a lot, and so I just buy it off of them and yeah, You'd sell this and that, yeah. whatever. Yeah, and just yeah, just make sure that I don't use my own money.
1: And was it was any of it like? I think the stuff that I was doing was horrible. Like yeah. I
2: don't think it was.
1: I think it was like the stuff that somebody makes in a. Yeah, in a, tra- a camper. Like <laughs> yeah. not like not the breaking, breaking bad. bad. not the good breaking. Not the bad. good stuff. <laughs> the bad stuff. Do you think yeah. you are on good
2: better I, stuff? I think for most of the time I was on the good stuff. When I would um snort it and feel it in my teeth, I knew right. that it was a good one. And every a lot of times I would feel it in my teeth. And when does the 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 work fall out from under you? The work falls out after the uh con- after the uh sales conference and maybe Six months into into my, I got promoted into the marketing department, and then about six months into that, I was just going crazy. I kept on telling myself that as long as the crystal meth use didn't get into my uh, professional life, I was fine. And once it started hitting into my professional life, I, I couldn't stop anymore. It was a choice between like, am I going to keep on doing this, or am I going to lose my job? I'm probably going to lose my job. How did, the, how did you get fired? There was one day that I was so pissed off at work that I wa- walked off and I, uh, I walked home. And as I'm walking home, in my mind, I had quit my job. And then I felt so good about quitting my job. And then uh, that night I realized I don't have anything set up. So I went back into work <laughs> and that's when they fired me. They were like, why did you leave? And I was like, oh, because I was having a, I was an issue with my roommate, what I was making up lies and yeah, so.
1: I remember I only had one real period of math and it was in LA and i had a job at a this tv company i was like an associate producer for this bullshit show called nine on the town where we went around and we showed like like restaurants or like events and and i had and, and i i remember i i was shooting heroin at the time too and i would mm. i would shoot meth with heroin together mm. in their bathroom like i kept needles in the tv place bathroom it was like i was and i was totally deranged Mm. like i had no connection to reality i wasn't sleeping like Mm. and i was i wasn't a person that stayed up yeah like this meth period was like (laughs) a bad period and i remember a woman confronted me and i just lied i was like i'm not sleeping and Mm -hmm. i I made up all these like excuses Mm. that didn't make sense and she's like dude you have a drug problem. It's fucking obvious. <laughs> yeah. and, and like it was just such a meth hit me in a way that nothing else did. Mm. Like yeah. it just really rearranged my personality.
2: Totally. Absolutely. Did you find
3: yeah. that that to be a thing? Not
2: well, my personality won, yes, because I was loud now. Now I was an extra Angry. I wasn't that angry. I was just but I you used, walked off on that last day. I did work on I did walk on the last day. Um, but what I found was that it turned off the switch from my caring about what I'm about to say to just saying stuff. And I really liked that. It just turned that filter off. right? And I was just making outrageous jokes at work and stuff like that. And I was like, this is the person I wanna be. And so when I got sober, I was just like, how am I gonna reach that person again? Cause that was, there were actual benefits of my use that I really, really liked. And the problem was, well, I'm not really that person. And can I lean into the person that I believe that I'm supposed to be?
1: Right. That's interesting. Yeah. So you lose the gig. Yep. The math use is every day. Yep. And, and, and when do you decide, like, maybe I need to, to change
2: my life? I didn't make the decision myself. So I lost my job. I was out of work for about two and a half years. I can't find a job, not really interested in getting a job. And I lose everything all my savings, my 401k. Um, I'm squatting in my condo and musing. Um, I'm just using, yeah. Just I have meth? No, just meth. Uh, I'm, I'm a garbage can, so anything that was around, I would, I would use as well. And I remember a moment when, um, when the cops kept on coming by my condo and telling me, we know exactly what's going on in here. And if we see anybody with crystal meth, we're going to trace it back to you, and we are going to put you into jail. And I was- Why did they target you? Because I was in a really nice condo building, and my HOA was- terrified of the people that i was keeping company with and so they kept they called the cops every single day on me
1: well you seem like a what kind of people were you with
2: uh drug dealers and some of them were kind of sketchy so i think they were more scared of them than they were scared of me but because but i was still, a source right. of it like, they get me at, yeah. so get me out of there so that all these riffraff raff leave with them and so the, the cops were after me and i remember telling my friend naomi about this at, at a bar and i told finally came clean with her Told her I was doing crystal math and everything. I asked her, "Can I stay with you?" So I get until the heat goes off, and then she says yes. And I disappear. She is completely frustrated with me. I go. Uh, I go home for uh, Thanksgiving, and uh, and I remember we had such a nice Thanksgiving. It was nice and warm. I was here in the East Coast, and on the way back to, um, I was going back to uh, to the airport. I'm sitting in my sister's minivan, and I'm thinking to myself. You have got to tell her that if you get on that plane, you're going to die. That she cannot let you go back your to your sister. I'm I'm trying to bring up the confidence to tell her this, right? Had you Before managed
1: you, to not do meth for Thanksgiving with your family? I had to
2: do meth during Thanksgiving. I got an angry uh, an argument with my dad, and I was just like, I need something, and I had it in the folds of my socks, and to get myself in a good mood, that's what I did. So drug addicts do. Drug exactly. Addicts do drugs. <laughs> exactly. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so did you get the courage to tell your sister? I did not. I hugged her goodbye, got onto the plane, and I started bawling. I thought that I had lost my chance. And so I go back to Seattle, and I'm in this dungy, cold, dark condo with I don't know how many people are living with me at that point, And I figure I'm, I'm back here to die. And um, I remember my sister calling me up. Did um, she know? She finally found out from Naomi. Naomi was like, Naomi finally. He's in Twan's yeah. in trouble. Naomi Did she, she knew your sister. My sister, before she put me onto the plane, said, hey, can I have phone numbers of three people that I can contact if anything's wrong? Because she had a feeling something She had was a feeling wrong. something was up because I hadn't been working for such a long time. She pointedly asked me, is there any substance use problem? And I said, no. I just didn't have the courage to tell her. And then when she found out from Naomi, I remember her calling me up in the, on a Sunday night and she says, I know exactly what's going on. We're going to get you out of there. When can uh, when can Naomi come pick you up? i I was like, oh, how about Wednesday? She's like, no, Monday. She's going to pick you up on Monday. And this moves really quickly. We find a place for you. You're going to, uh, this is going to move really fast. And uh, so they found me. Hold up, hold up. When Naomi went to your sister, yeah. did she tell you? She, she she invited me over to her apartment and said, hey, I called your sister. Yeah. And were, and so, were you
1: part of you was relieved, I bet.
2: So much of me was relieved. I was so glad. There was like this mix of absolute relief because now people know and they can help me. And I am so ashamed. I can't believe that people know. But the relief was more than the shame.
1: Well, considering you had that experience before you got on the
2: plane. Yeah. Like where all you wanted to do.
1: Because it's like, just get me out of this. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, so Naomi tells your sister mm-hmm. and your sister calls you. My sister calls me. And she's, like, and she's your older sister? My older sister, yeah. Good yeah. deal. Yeah. And she's like, we're dealing with this yeah. now.
2: So Sunday, the call came on Sunday night. By Thursday morning, I'm, a plane, I'm on a plane from SeaTac to New Jersey. And Friday morning, I'm driving up to Connecticut for rehab. It's all 12-step based. And I thought I was a fish out of water. And I was like, this is not going to work for me. I, if I have to believe in a God, there's no way for me to get to, to recover. So how did you make the leap? I made the leap because of the one line in the big book that says, God of your own uh, Understanding. Understanding. Sure. yeah. When when you were
1: talking about before that mm-hmm. when you were in Seattle, you were taking some yoga classes mm-hmm. yep. here and there, was it ever like that kind of aha in your head that said, maybe I like this, maybe this suits me somehow? Not really. No.
2: Not really. It was all just athletic for me. This was like cool Right, exercise. exercise. Yeah. I have something
1: to do at the gym. Yeah,
2: totally. I get it, yeah.
1: See, I, I like the idea of a higher power of yep. my own understanding because yeah. I didn't have any kind of connection to God at all, but I didn't have connection to really anything yeah. for until until my only connection to a higher power that was actually transformative only came through desperation. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and I heard gift of desperation, mm-hmm. and yeah. I was like, okay, I have that. Yeah, I was like, I'm willing to try mm-hmm. that. And also, like, whatever, I, I was... I just needed, I, I, I was incredibly desperate and I had yeah. hit a point where I couldn't do anything. Mm-hmm. You're, how old were you in Connecticut? Uh,
2: I was 35. Yeah, that's a good time.
1: Yeah, a good, <laughs> good time to get sober, yeah. How long are
2: you there before you actually, and th- was this your only treatment? This was my only treatment. I was and there you got two, sober? I got sober, one and done. It's very rare. Very rare, yes, absolutely. I heard people talking about statistics one day and I'm thinking to myself, well, I wonder who else is going to get sober because I know I'm getting sober. Like, I had so much of an ego on me. I was more like, I wonder who's getting sober because I know it's not, happening. <laughs> <laughs> it's not happening for me. I looked around and said, hmm, it's me and one other person. Okay.
1: Well, you had a drive.
2: Yeah. Did you have that drive in your life before that? Well, I didn't have that drive once I got there. My, my end game was to help get my parents off my back about the crystal meth and have them help me with my finances. I thought the only reason, I thought I had a financial management problem, not a like drinking and drugging one. I thought well, as you long did. As you did both. Yeah. <laughs> but I didn't know that one caused the other. I was just like, you know, crystal meth is just this thing that I do on the side. It's not, it's not a big deal. And um, it was funny because uh, I was having this internal debate with myself saying that the, the degree with which I was doing crystal meth did not warrant a trip to rehab. Most people don't do crystal meth. <laughs> Most people don't do the work that I was doing around the clock and thinking to myself, well, am I going to go to sleep tonight or am I going to stay up another night? when you got better and
1: when you did treatment did you miss drugs or were you just like i'm so tired of being this fuck up like i i want to mm-hmm. be i don't i want to be normal or mm-hmm. i want to i want to not have this incredible mm-hmm. impediment like how connected to the actual drugs was the recovery
2: i think for me the crystal meth was easy to not go back to because i didn't know where to get it and I'm lazy and I'm really nervous. I'm not going to go out to like Hartford or something just to ask for crystal meth. I'm just not that person. Um, when I left rehab, I thought that I was going to go back to, uh, to um, just casual drinking because it was never a problem for me. And then after hanging out with people in AA, with sober people, I realized my life was getting better and I didn't miss drinking or drinking. Where did just, you
1: wind up living?
2: I started, I started living in uh, Torrington, Connecticut with a, uh, in a sober house.
1: And how was that?
2: It was pretty amazing. My friend, uh, my friend now, uh, one of my best friends, uh, Pat, he picked me up at, the, at High Wash, and uh, it ended up being his, um, his sober house. And he introduced me to you know, all his friends, and I got really plugged in with a good uh, sober network. See, that's
1: really the, the, the biggest tool, I think, yeah. for anybody. Is, is making some friends that are Absolutely. doing it and being yeah. like, okay, we can have fun yeah. and be friends yeah. and be sober.
2: I got sober while watching the Giants on Sundays with that. Right.
1: Yeah. And, th- and then so when, when does mind, body, spirit stuff start clicking in? The
2: mind, body, spirit started clicking in when, um, when I was working the second step with my sponsor and he asked me if I was praying. And I told him, I don't believe in God. I don't know what God has to do with this entire program, whatever. And after about 15 minutes railing on God, he said, I didn't ask you whether or not you believed in God. I asked you if you prayed. I was like, what's the difference? I was like, he just said, talk to the universe, see what happens. And um, that was it. I just started talking to somebody. I didn't address it to anything. I remember going to an AA meeting and somebody said his first prayer was just simply, can you give me the strength and courage to stay away from a drinking drug today? And I thought that was a cool prayer, so I just did it. And after about 90 days, the obsession was lifted from me. And I was just like, okay, something really good is happening. I don't know what is, but I'm going to keep on doing it. And when I saw these people with spirituality in their lives, and they were just grounded, and they just knew how to take life on life's terms, I was just like, I need what they have. And I saw this documentary called The Secret. And in it, it said, um, if you ask a quantum physicist what created this world, he would say that energy created this world. And how do you describe energy? Energy cannot be created or destroyed. Energy moves in and out of form, and energy is everywhere. If you ask a theologian the same question, what creates this world, you say that God created this world. And How do you describe God? God cannot be created or destroyed. God moves in and out of form, and God is everywhere. Same words. So it's possible that God is just a metaphor for this energy. And then I thought about energy. I can totally get behind energy. And how do I tap into this energy? And when I started doing yoga, meditation, I started to find this peacefulness about me. And there was something else there that just kept me completely grounded out of my head and helped me with my thinking, and things just went from there.
1: Yeah, I had, I had a very similar experience around prayer mm. where I was instructed to pray, and I said, I don't know how to pray, and, yeah. I, and, and I don't want to. And, yeah. and, but I really wanted the results yeah. you know, that everybody had. I really wanted how it works to work for mm-hmm. me, and and I knew that if I didn't thoroughly engage with it, how could I expect the results? Because that's what how it yeah, set. Totally, yeah. <laughs> And I had the same experience around prayer. and I had the same kind of idea around higher power, although it wasn't as eloquent as you just described. It was more like, I know that I'm not everything, mm-hmm. but I am part of everything. yeah, and everything is bigger than me and mm. God can be everything. Yeah. And then in the book it says God is everything or God is nothing. Yep. And at first I took that very snarkily, mm. like either you have no God or your life is like Jesus. Mm. <laughs> and, then, and then I was like, wait a second, God could be everything. Yeah. And I like the way you just described the impact of the mind, body, spirit had on you. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it also just, it's first of all, it's just being busy yeah. It's doing stuff. It's doing when you something. do stuff, mm-hmm. things change. Mm-hmm. And and especially as a drug addict who yeah. did drugs instead mm-hmm. of stuff, you yeah. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, talk about the beginning of a of your own practice. Mm-hmm. Like how did that even happen? I mean, I guess it yeah. starts with the prayer. It
2: starts with the prayer. And then I had a uh, a spiritual experience on a ladder <laughs> where I prayed for just my higher power to be there, and that's when I knew that there was something in my life that I could rely on. On a ladder? Yes. Want to hear the story? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So um, I got into a really bad depression about nine months into my recovery. And I thought to myself, you know what? I can't do this anymore. And I remember going to sleep. And I just talked to my higher power, which I had no concept of whatever. And I just said, you know. You can't what? do what anymore? I can't be sober anymore. I, I'm in this depression. I don't know how to get out of it. I'm supposed to, nine months into my recovery, I'm supposed to know how to do this. And I talked to my higher power and said, you know what, I'm not gonna do anything stupid. I'm not gonna kill myself, I'm not going to relapse, but if you wanna take me home tonight, I'd be okay with that. Meaning I'm, I'm done. I'm done, completely done. Next morning I wake up and I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'm still here, and man, this fucking sucks. But the message to me from my higher power was, even though you wanna die, I'm not gonna let you. So what are you gonna do about living? And so I told myself I needed to make a change. And I remember going to my IOP that, that uh, night and um, I told everybody I was fixated on the negative. I was missing meetings. I am, I am not feeling well. And I just dumped everything on them. And I remember all the love that I got that night. And people giving me email addresses and stuff like that. And I remember one of the things I told them was I couldn't find a job. And I wanted to leave my, um, my sober house. So I leave that meeting. I go home. And I see my uh, roommate James. And James says, hey, I found a, uh, a painting gig this, uh, this weekend. Do you want to come with me? I'm thinking to myself, I just asked for help over here at this meeting, and now somebody is offering me a job. This got to be freaking kidding me, right? And uh, I thought that was a blessing. That wasn't the blessing. I remember going to work, and um, I have a really bad fear of heights, so painting is not a good job for me. So uh, I remember I came into the uh, came in with a plan. I told myself I was, I'm going to stay on the ground for as much as I can, but when it got got time to go up on the uh, on the ladder, I'm going to stare straight ahead and like paint with those alligator arms and before we getting on alligator arms, they're like really short, short uh, arms and n- no uh, no long movements. Right. And then
1: um, so you're safe.
2: So I'm safe exactly. And um, before going on the uh, ladder, I tell I say for some reason I told myself, God is with you now. God is with you now. Can you please take away my fear of heights because I really need this job? So the deal is, you take away my fear of heights and I do the work. So I go up on the ladder, and for some reason I'm not scared at all.
1: How did you get? to asking God to remove your fear from there is no God?
2: I have no idea. Okay. It just popped up in my head. Right. It just said, why don't you pray? And so I did. And so I wasn't scared at all. I'm up and down, up and down, thinking what is going on here? I'm okay on this ladder. And I go home and um, I see the clock on the, uh, on the stove and it says 444. In numerology, 444 means that your angels are with you. I thought that was kind of cool. Next day I'm doing the same thing. When did you
1: take up numerology?
2: I have no idea. I'm like picking from here, I'm there. enjoying it. Yeah. Yeah. This is yeah. kind of <laughs> Yeah. So then I go to work the next day. I'm doing the same thing, saying the prayer before i are going to go on the ladder. I'm not scared. We go home and uh, it's like 3.30. I'm a little disappointed because I'm the type of person that needs like validation all the time. So I do some chores. I get something ready for, uh, for dinner. I go to the refrigerator, get leftovers, go over to the uh, microwave. Somebody used the microwave before me. So I hit the clear button and it's at 4.44 again. And I was thinking to myself, okay, two days in a row, this is not a coincidence. And I thought to myself, maybe my higher power was with me on that ladder. But more importantly, I think my higher power has always been with me in my entire life. Because think about the things that I went through. And um, for some reason, I'm still here and I have no idea why I'm here. And so now I just feel like my higher power, if I just can keep the idea of my higher power there, that's why that bell went off. Because that's a mindful moment for me. So it reminds me that I'm connected to my higher power and that everything is going to be okay. But why okay. did the bell go off? I set it to go off every hour. You it's like, just like you brief check your check phone
1: to, to go off when you need, a, when you need the moment to <laughs> know that you're with God.
2: <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. It's a reminder that I'm connected. And once I'm connected, I feel like everything is going to be okay. And if I'm not okay, well, I lost my connection. And then the
1: bell goes off. The bell goes. Like, and then, uh, that's, that's really interesting. Yeah. I bet you it goes off at really interesting moments. All, all, the, time. all the time, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. So still, when does it kickstart you? Because you're the spiritual guru of Mountainside now. So how did we get from the alligator arms on the yeah. fucking ladder to to this
2: this existence? Somebody recommended a book to me called Buddhism: The Twelve Steps. And up in uh, Kripalu, which is near uh, Mountainside, sure, he was coming to speak. So I started a meditation practice before. Who he... is the guy? The guy is. It's okay. You know, I can't remember right now. Yeah. Sorry. sorry. It's okay. It's okay. But he taught me how to uh, meditate. And so I started meditating then. And then I started, um, what did he teach you about meditation? He told, he talked about how Buddhism and the 12 steps could coexist. And Buddhism was really something that was coming up into my radar. So I just felt like maybe this is the path for me. And, um, he just guided meditations. 12, yeah. 12 steps and, and, uh, so guided Buddhist meditations yeah. that kind of worked well
1: with 12-step recovery. Yeah, do you do any of this Dharma stuff or no?
2: Yeah, I just started two years ago, and it's pretty amazing. What I love about Dharma is that the Buddha never claimed there was a God, but he just understood human suffering. And if you understand human suffering, then you know the way out. And people like you and I, we're human beings in, in, in the heart of it. And we just happen to have substance use disorder, which goes against mindfulness and being in your body and appreciating this moment for what it is. We're trying to create another feeling or another experience that just isn't here. And this moment is too uncomfortable for us. It's too what? Uncomfortable, unsatisfactory. Right, right, right. Yeah. And I know something that can get me to a feeling that I want without doing any work. Well, well let's, we'll
1: come back to that. <laughs> First, I wanna, so the, the guy from Kripala yep. is, is, is introducing you to how meditation yep. works. Mm-hmm guided meditations yep. and I would love at the end let's suggest like, totally where people can find good ones or ones that you found open the door to this for you absolutely and maybe that'll be good mm. for yep. me too my meditations now I just I just set, put four minutes on the timer mm-hmm. and sit there yeah and try to like chant in my head <laughs> but I bet you there's better things I could be doing but it's not bad there's
2: different ways of doing it I wouldn't say better
1: it's not it's yeah. not it's not horrible mm-hmm. when I do it I always if I always can, feel better I feel great yeah so all the, a spark goes off in yep. your head mm-hmm. and, you,
2: and, and you're starting to feel
3: okay. Yeah,
2: I'm feeling okay. I'm feeling better. And I know that there is more to my recovery than just this one hour at an meeting. Right. And maybe like,
1: it's like the tip of the spiritual iceberg. Kind yeah, of thing. totally. Yeah. They
2: might mention spirituality, mm-hmm. yep. but then you're experiencing yeah. it through yeah. this other thing. Yeah. A friend of mine likes to say that AA opens up the door to the big top of spirituality. But once you're in there, you can go wherever you like. Exactly. Yeah. I, I like that. So, so how does how does it open up more
1: the, your spiritual path?
2: I think there were just certain things at work that started pushing me toward that. I think that the biggest um, the biggest impact for me came when my brother died. Hmm. My brother died about three years into my recovery, and um, I was looking through all Older these things younger, younger and we, I was looking through all these like spiritual readings to help how did he for die? me. He died of, um, of a rare. Um, condition called hlh um it's when your immune system be- you know how when your immune system becomes heightened when um when you're when uh when you're sick and it's attacking all these things his immune system Turnable. wouldn't shut off right yeah right. and so it started eating away at its own body yeah
1: i'm sorry about your brother
2: and, and so that opened you up to to experiencing or i feel like there is a partnership between me and my brother and that maybe in another lifetime I left early and he was going to help me during this lifetime and now it's the other way around. And I feel like certain books have been placed in front of me that I just that really resonate with me and it didn't happen until he he passed away. And so I think he has he has had some kind of effect on that. Uh, Conversations with God is a book that brought a, a lot of what I believed in. And just coalesced everything. And if I had to recommend any spiritual reading, it would be Conversations with God. It's pretty amazing.
1: I never even heard of it. No. Conversations with God. All right. Book one. So so then, do you see, does Mountainside have an ad that says, we need a spiritual guru?
2: And they're like, I might be able to do that. At the, at the other rehab. Um, you were working there at that point. Yeah, I was working at that there at that point. And I remember. Hold oh, up, real quick. Yeah. How did you
1: go from leaving there to working there? um or was it a transition to like you you, you after about a
2: year after you, you just worked there after about a year i put in an application to work in the housing department the housekeeping department yeah. were you like because it's a safe place i know the area i know yeah. the program totally absolutely and in the back of my mind i thought maybe this might be a, a career path for me i just also like and, i can
1: stay safe and i can yeah. feel at
2: home and yeah. i know i know this place totally absolutely yeah so i was at this other uh, rehab for about seven years i'm doing 12 step work and I feel like I've, uh, I've topped out. There's just nothing more left for me to learn. And um, I actually got into a pretty bad depression as well during that time. I'm thinking to myself, I could stay here for another 12 years. The clients would love me. But uh, my, there's like a tug in my soul that says, you don't belong here anymore. What were you doing with clients there? Uh, 12-step work. I was a 12-step coach. And so I'd work one, steps one, two, and three with them. I would do a spirituality workshop and do a chapel. And people would know me as like the spiritual guy. But um, inside, I was just, I was dying for about a year and a half. And um, I remember going over to my patent. Why, why do you say you were dying? I was dying because I knew I could do more. And I wasn't living up to my potential. And I don't believe that that treatment center wanted me to do more. And so I felt stuck. And I was, as I was looking for jobs, I, I, I was putting like 12-step work. And I, it's so specialized that I was just like, I might be stuck here. For the rest of my life, that's not how an addict feels. I'm gonna stuck here for the rest of my life. I remember going to my friend Pat's house, and I was talking about like where, what I was doing and how depressed I was. And he was like, "You could have my job. There's a there's a job in my in uh, at Mountside that we're looking for. Um recovery at Mountside. Yeah, recovery support specialist and um, clinician. The funny thing is, I went into uh, the two interviews with them, rocked both of them, and then they asked me to do a third one. And I was just like, I thought there were only two. And so I'm, I'm going to this third one and there are two different people I had never met before. And we're going through so, through another interview. And at the end, they they asked me, so um, do you have any questions for us? And I said, yeah, is the recovery support clinician, is that job not available anymore? Because I thought I was interviewing for that. And they're like, oh, you don't qualify for that anymore. Um, but there's a job in the wellness department that we think you'd be perfect for. And I was like, okay, I, I saw that um I saw that ad in the paper, but that was just pretty work. And they're like, "No, we'll have yeah, we'll have you full time." I was like, "Same terms, same terms." I was like, "Okay." So Mountside saw it in me before I even saw it in myself.
1: When I was there, they did qigong in the mm-hmm. morning. Yep. They did yoga a few times a day. Mm-hmm. There was the chapel thing. Yep. Mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, and um, maybe we walked the labyrinth. Mm-hmm. We did some shit in the woods. <laughs> I remember that uh are they do they give you like this is what you're gonna do mm-hmm.
2: and then like how do you learn it at the beginning all i did i was on the abc side the, the adventure-based counseling side yeah
1: so yeah, i took people was, on
2: yeah. hikes i did spirituality stuff i did personal empowerment but none of the uh none of the yoga stuff and then i was i was um as i was working there i started to uh, shadow some groups that uh, my friend was doing and then I asked them whether or not I could do some yoga teacher training. They said yes, and then somehow things just manifested for me, working from the ABC side, ABC side to the MBS side. When COVID hit, um, some some people decided to leave and open up a spot, and I just uh, fit right into that. It's so, amazing. Yeah. Now,
1: when you're talking to like our audience, is like you know, I mean, it's it's a it's a probably a pretty diverse mix of people who are. Using, mm-hmm. not using, yeah. using a little, which is probably just using. Where would you suggest somebody like that starts when when it comes to
2: gaining some some spiritual practice? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think just asking for help. I think that's a that is the the first step into accessing a power greater than you, because at some part of our of our using we we realize that we can't get out of this on our own. And just asking for help, I think that is the most important part of spirituality, knowing that I am not the greatest power in this universe, and that maybe there's something out there that can help me. And then from there, seeing how other people have uh, created their own spirituality and seeing what fits for them. Some people don't are not going to like meditation. Some people aren't going to like yoga. But just trying these different practices and that the ones that fit them are going to be, I think, key for them. Do you think it's possible to have spirituality if you're not sober? Spirituality when you're not sober? I think you can, depending on how much. Because if we're talking to yeah. somebody yep. who's,
1: mm-hmm. maybe they want to be sober, maybe yep. they want to use less, mm-hmm. maybe they want to just be plugged in. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, Is it again the answer, just you
2: need to ask for help? I think the first part is asking for help and seeing if this path is for you. And what spiritual practices can I do for uh, to stay sober if I want to stay sober? And I think spirituality is probably the most important part of my program that gets me sober.
1: Yeah, and and I I think that I I found benefits with spirituality that remind me of getting high, mm. which is like uh, the like relaxation mm-hmm. and and, and yeah. the idea of of infinite. Yeah, like you're talking about your fingers when you mm-hmm. do qigong, like. I share I we I used to I haven't been to that meeting in a long time. I go to I go to a meeting, like it's a seven day a week meeting at yeah. eight in the morning on the beach where I live. Yeah. And on Wednesdays they do meditation meetings. Mm. And I would always share or I often shared that I did drugs to feel like I was what like sure. I imagined you mm. would feel from yep. meditating. And um. I and I wanted a spiritual impact. Like I did a ton of psychedelics yeah. and mm-hmm. I smoked a ton of weed and I, I imagined pursuing this spiritual awakening through sure. drugs. Absolutely.
2: Which, yep. which never happened, really. You can get a spiritual experience through drugs. Yes. But it, the, the thing is, what are you going to do with it? I, I like More Alan drugs. Watts. <laughs> Alan Watts says, once you get the message, hang up the phone. Because he's saying that just like a scientist who finds something underneath a microscope, a discovery, you don't glue your, your, your eye to the microscope. You go out in your life and you see where you can apply that kind of thing. You can end the spiritual experience and say, oh, everything is connected, but how do I apply that in my everyday life? If I can remind myself that, oh, through the psychedelic experience, I realize that everything is connected and I'm a part of all of that. If I'm living my everyday life and I realize that I am also part of that, I'm part of you, then maybe I'm going to treat you a little better because we're connected and I understand that connection.
1: Right. I love that. It's like once you open the door, are you going to walk through the door Mm -hmm. or are you just going to eat acid for the rest of your life? Yeah, totally. Yeah. I think that's a great great observation on that experience i know that uh when i am living spiritually it is about like how do i treat people yeah and and qigong seems to me to be a great exercise in patience totally absolutely which is something i really Mm. struggle with same here when when you deal with addicts Mm. you know fresh off of using Mm. how hard is it how easy is it? What's the easiest version of like somebody like that? Is it like some yoga lady who's does yoga all fucked up and then she goes to mountainside and she's got her fucking yoga outfit on and is ready to go. Are those the easiest people to work with or, or or how hard is it to work with like some junkie who hasn't done any of it? And like, Mm -hmm. what is it like when you see the disconnect to the connect or how do you
2: foster Mm -hmm. somebody who's not spiritual to become spiritual? I think the easiest people to help are the ones that are open and don't know what's going on, but just really want help. And those are the ones that come to Qigong and knowing that I've never done this before, but there's got to be a path that's going to help me. And I think the things that we try to do the most in the wellness department is try to have people feel safe in their bodies again and to feel these feelings that we're feeling and to know that whatever I'm feeling is going to pass. And how do I manage it? I know that for me, drinking, drugging, never solved any problems. And what I was trying to solve was what I was feeling. And it got me to a place where if I have a negative feeling, I knew what alcohol and drugs could do to me to get out of this feeling. And now the spiritual practices that I do help me to get out of those feelings and try to find some peace in my life. And like I said before, I'm just trying to find some peace in the chaos. And that's what alcohol and drugs did for me. It tried to make me feel comfortable in a situation that I was just not comfortable in.
1: And it's like, it's like uh, it might offer temporary release. I always saw things like using is like two lines going into a corner and mm-hmm. at the end you have, there's nothing else to do. Yeah. And, and, and actual spirituality is two lines going out from a corner oh, I like that. where you have, it's, it never stops yeah. expanding. Mm-hmm. If the first thing you'd suggest to somebody is to ask
2: for help, mm-hmm. what's the second thing? Listen listen. And my sponsor used to say, you can't ask the help how to help. When you ask for help, you got to listen and follow instructions. And a lot of times people come into treatment, me included, that have huge egos and say, I can figure this out on my own. My willpower is going to do this. I'm smarter than anybody in this room. And those are my two greatest assets. So I'm going to use that to get sober. And it just doesn't work. And just being open and just listening. The great thing about recovery, AA, recovery, Dharma, refuge recovery, is that they're not making it up on a fly we know how to do it and all we have to do is follow these instructions and in once we follow these instructions check our egos at the door and just listen and do these practices we're, we're going to get sober
1: right we had we had talked about when we were talking about dharma you had said something and i said let's let's table that do you okay. remember what that was no. no you when you were talking, talking about, about suffering right so buddhism
2: recognizes that life is suffering. Mm-hmm. In this life, there is suffering, yes. And then what's? how do you get out of it? How do you get out of it? What is causing your suffering? A lot of it is unsatisfaction. Attachment, attachment you know? unsatisfactoriness, thinking that this moment, if good or bad or, or negative, is going to pass. And can I be grateful for it? The problem with a lot of human beings is that, especially addicts and alcoholics, is that if there's a good feeling, we want to sustain it. I know exactly what I need. Like I always ask people, like, how many of you... When you had a good day at work, wanna go out and have a drink, you know? A lot, you just wanna sustain this feeling. Well, if you have a bad day at work, what do you wanna do? Wanna go out and, and drink to make this feeling feel better? I always felt like this moment was never good enough for me. And I always how knew- How do you make it better? How do I make this feeling better? And if it is already good, how do I sustain it? And that is completely against what Buddhism is. Buddhism is what are you feeling right now? And can you accept this moment for what it is? pleasant or unpleasant or indifferent. And just knowing that whatever it is that you're feeling is going to pass. It's just another moment. It's just another moment. Yeah. Trying not to push it away or trying not to attach to it and just being okay with it. Well, how do you deal with a good moment
1: versus mm-hmm. an unsatisfactory moment?
2: First, um, accepting it for what it is. Can a good moment be good though? Yeah. Well, you can appreciate a good moment. Absolutely. But try not to attach that moment saying, I need this to continue. Because you know it can't last it forever. It can't last forever. That's what crystal meth was for me. I tried to make it last forever because it was such a great feeling. And I would stay up for days and days and days until I started hearing voices. The weird
1: thing for me is, is it's, it was never heroin
2: when I think about
1: that feeling, mm-hmm. I think about it with cigarettes yeah. that I would smoke, and I would I would say to myself, "I just want to smoke all day," mm-hmm. and I, I still feel it around food, sure. Like when I eat yeah. cookies, like mm-hmm. I'm like, "I just want to eat cookies yep. all day. I totally. want to experience this exact thing," mm. and obviously it goes bad. Yeah, you know both of them, mm-hmm. yep. and I, and I've managed to give up cigarettes and food i i you can't give up food you can't give up food no but okay so a good feeling basically it's 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 kind of like this really deep other side of the acceptance thing in the big book absolutely yeah if you can practice acceptance you know mm-hmm. that every moment will pass
2: yeah absolutely yeah
1: it's kind of like this really psychedelic thing underneath acceptance mm-hmm. like this time and like this universe
2: yeah totally yeah yeah can I accept it even if it doesn't reach my own expectations of how I think it should be? Right. Either if this is, if this is, this is my favorite Mm -hmm. thing or if
1: this is totally unacceptable to Mm -hmm. me, either way, either way, it's going to be done in a second.
2: It's what's happening. Yeah. It's what's happening. I remember I was in a Dharma group uh, one morning and, um, and one of the uh, guided meditations was just saying, this is happening. Like the traffic is happening. Breathing is happening. And I, I remember someone was making coffee. And I was like, okay, coffee brewing is happening. And I could hear other people like snickering and stuff like that. And, I'm, and I thought to myself, well, snickering is happening. Sneezing is happening. And then all of a sudden I was thinking, smiling is happening. Like I'm smiling because through all this thing, these things that other people are probably being resentful over, it's happening. I can't change it. My resistance to what's happening right now isn't going to change what's happening. Right. It's just but my acceptance maybe. of it will change my experience of it. Oh, the coffee's brewing. Okay, not gonna ruin anything.
1: But maybe resistance
2: takes away mindful appreciation of the moment. Absolutely, yeah. Because my resistance is telling me that I want this to be different. Why is this person making coffee? Didn't they know that the meeting was starting, that the meditation was gonna start? And now we're all distracted? It's never about the coffee.
1: Okay, when you start a meeting, like you start a meditation, Uh And there's some jerk off yep. like me, yeah, because I was that jerk totally. off. Totally. How do you mean totally? <laughs> uh, so, and, and Not you in particular, but I know you, you, people no, walking in late. Like, right. You yeah. can imagine yeah. me in this same totally. place, yeah. you know, a day off of heroin. Oh. Like <laughs> you, and 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 i and all I wanted to do is seek comfort yeah. by doing what I do, which is disrupt things like that. And as somebody who who is the facilitator. Yep and somebody who recognizes acceptance, how much can you withstand before it's unacceptable Hmm. for the situation? Interesting.
2: I think it's different. I think it's different depending on what the context is. Because one of the things that I really do like is when everybody's quiet, the room is quiet, I'm I'm doing meditation and somebody walks in late. I'll open my eyes to see people's reaction to it. Some people will be like, oh, somebody's late. Go back to meditation. Other people will be like, I can't believe that person. Start judging them. It's never about what's happening on the outside. It's what's happening on the inside. There's stuff going on, like expectations or judgment of the person walking. What if the person that just walked in had a really bad phone call with a loved one, all they wanted to do was like five minutes apiece? I have no idea what that person's going through. So I do the best that I can to just not judge and just knowing that everybody is doing their best and that a lot of times... I would want somebody else to give me the benefit of the doubt. So why can't I give somebody else? I'm the type of person that, that high beams somebody, uh, that um, sees somebody going down the road, they high beaming me, and I'm going to go like, motherfucker, I can't believe that. Five minutes later, I'm high beaming somebody else. And going, oh my God, I, I, I hope that, and then I'm like, ah, oh, maybe that person just made a mistake. because I'm just you, judging.
1: Even you, guru of mountainside, are not a saint either. <laughs> I fuck up all the time. Me and my 13-year-old are driving home from her swimming. Mm. and uh we're sitting at a red light and some dude is fucking flashing high beams at me mm, yeah and she's like daddy why why are they doing that i said i don't know i said maybe one of my headlights is out mm-hmm. and they're just trying to tell me yeah and she goes oh that's nice and I said, but maybe it's not
0: there.
1: <laughs> maybe I did something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I and I was like, why don't you get out of the car and see if our headlights are on? Yeah. And she and she's like, no, they're on. And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. Like, like You I, never know. You never yeah. you don't know what 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 somebody else yeah. is going through. Never know. Oh, we I mean it's like what you're talking about is like trying to be
2: compassionate. Yeah.
1: Like that's the highest form of mm. human interaction. Is yeah. Compassion. And it's very hard to mm. access yeah. it all the
2: time. Yeah. And I could be wrong too, but I my life gets better if I just give people the benefit of the doubt. And Do you think people
1: this. have crazy expectations of you because you run the spirituality Absolutely. component? Absolutely. Like that year so and you're also Southeast Asian. Yeah. So it's like you yeah. must <laughs> be the fucking Buddha. Yeah. It's like, does that does did you think there's expectations on that?
2: I think there's definitely expectations and I think that um that it's funny when I start talking about crystal meth that it's completely blown away.
1: Right, that's your that's your ace, uh, ace, oh, yeah. uh, ace up your sleeve. Totally, yeah,
2: yeah, absolutely. When I talk talking about crystal Month, they're like, "This person that teaches a sitting meditation, qigong, and yoga did crystal math." You've got to be kidding me! Yeah, because I was living a completely different life. And and what is
1: sound bowl meditation to you versus regular meditation, mm-hmm. qigong, yep. yoga? How does it affect sound, you?
2: Sound bowl meditation is really interesting because. I recommend it to people that have that struggle with just regular meditation, sitting meditation, because the vibrations will get your brain into a meditative state and allow you to feel what meditation is like without you even trying to meditate. And a lot of the crystal bowls are actually um, attuned to different chakras, and if you have the, if you know which chakras are open or closed for you and which sound is going to help, um, you can open some of these chakras that uh, that are preventing your inner healer to come through and heal itself so you sound healing is um it's a really cool process where we find the right frequencies for the things that are ailing you and um and helps break up those things
1: that sounds like total bullshit though it does how do you find out how do you find out what chakras opened or closed
2: they will let you know when you buy them huh yeah they will let you know when you buy them every chakra has a that has a different um, note that goes to it. Like I believe- You mean the crystal bowl the crystal bowl. The crystal bowl dealers I want to be a crystal yeah, bowl absolutely. dealer. I went from crystal meth <laughs> dealing to crystal bowl <laughs> dealing. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. It's the frequency. The frequency, every chakra has a different frequency and the frequencies of the bowl can match the frequencies of the chakras. And when you match up the frequency of the chakras to the, the, the frequency of the sound, the frequency of the chakra, you can open up your chakras.
1: So as the facilitator, yeah. as the- what do you call it a crystal bowl player or?
2: i'm not sure
1: it's like i swear like at Dopeycon iv mm. in that huge yeah. cathedral it was beautiful in there it was so powerful and i got high i was even working like i'm mm. running around like it like totally like trying to control every aspect of that thing and make mm. sure everything is where it is and and that sound bowl hit me yeah. It, it opened up whatever chakra I had that that was closed. <laughs> but when you say if somebody struggles with meditation, mm-hmm. they should try sound bowl meditation. Yep. How? How do they? How, like if I yep. like that shit was fucking powerful. Yeah.
2: How do I do that without being with you or, or <laughs> go to a yoga studio? Right. That's where the sound people hang out. Yeah. Go. T- how much does a crystal bowl cost? Crystal bowl costs about $100, I mean, depending on how large you want it to be, like one to $200. So
1: I could buy a crystal buy, bowl, yeah.
2: mm-hmm. I can sit in my
1: garage yes. and just be pumping that shit out. Yeah, if you want, absolutely. And, and can, are
2: you in a meditation while you're doing it? I am not in a meditation while I'm doing it, but I'm sure that it's working on a physical level for me. What are you thinking? Are you like like playing the symphony? I am thinking, this sounds really cool. I like this. I want to do the high one <laughs> Exactly. Now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I'm just moved by the sounds. Were you ever a musician? Not really. So this
1: is the closest thing. Yeah. Do you
2: feel like a musician kind absolutely, of? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. All
1: right. Yeah. Uh, is there anything do you think that we missed?
2: Anything else that we missed?
1: Um, who's the worst to work with? Junkies,
2: crystal <laughs> meth people, alcohol alcoholics <laughs> are probably the worst. Who's the worst? The worst people to work with. Um, they are in all flavors, just the ones that don't want it right? and just aren't ready to do it.
1: What about the teacher's pets in rehab?
2: Annoying or nice? <laughs> Again, it, it, it depends. It depends because there's some teacher's pets that are, that are really into it. Yeah. And they're they make it easier. To, yeah. Right. But then there's others that you're like, they're teacher's pets and then they come back and they're like, I thought you had it. I thought you had it. And right. those are the ones that, that throw me for a loop. Well, it's challenging because, yeah.
1: because that's that people pleasing aspect. Sure. Yeah. Where where
2: they're getting high off you
1: mm. thinking that they have it without them totally actually getting it. Yeah. It's such a trip for me because I'm thinking back I was in Mountainside in twenty eleven,
0: mm.
1: you know, which is you know, thirteen years ago. And I was such a mess and I remember hearing A B C and MBS mm. and not, you know, just refusing to absorb any of it, yeah. you know, and, and now here we are talking about it. I just feel it's cool. You know, I yeah. feel I feel very grateful to you for doing this and absolutely. very grateful to Mountainside for being a part of uh, mm-hmm. our thing. But I also mm-hmm. feel very proud that our thing came out of Mountainside. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. I appreciate your time, Tuan. I Thank hope you come back again. I will. And we'll talk suffering and yeah. <laughs> meditation and meth. <laughs> I
0: love it.
3: Doby-doby-doby. doby doby, doby. doby, doby, doby. Dopey, 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 dopey,
1: dopey, dopey, Thank you, Twan. Love Twan. I think he's a great, great, a sober new voice, sober new voice on the show. Let us know what you thought of Twan. And since Chris may or may not have reached out to us from the other side, I want to play. Probably, probably my favorite clip in the history of the show. This is probably my favorite clip in the history of the show. Um, Me and Chris back in the day. Hope you guys are well. It's always a thrill to make the show. Pray for Fentanyl J. Pray for me and my family to survive Disney World. I'm just going to leave it with me and Chris. Stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris. We want except for you know reviews. reviews. <laughs> we want reviews. Yeah. We want follows. I still feel like all of our fucking social media numbers are paltry. When the one that we also had this other story that I think we should bust out before it's over, where the people at our rehab. Oh yeah, I don't even know how to tell that story.
0: I mean, should we tell it for the next time or? Now, just tell it. So we've, Dave and I met at this place called Mountainside. Don't
1: say the name unless they pay us. I just said it. We met at this place called Mountainside, and uh, they might do ads with us. And Dave had a call with the marketing fucking people, and they wanted, uh, you know, examples of ads, and all their examples suck, and they were very business-oriented. But if we had more followers... Well, they said. Well, they said. Well, how's your social media? Why didn't me tell it? You did. You were there. You handled it. I didn't do anything. It was just so unappealing. It was so bad. Such a terrible call. You handled it bad. They're professional over there. They're suits. I don't know why I'm talking about this at all. <laughs> <laughs>
0: they're definitely not going to do it if they listen (laughs) (laughs) oh man this is why we can't get advertisers I think Boundside is the best treatment center (laughs) in the world give me 50 bucks
1: (laughs) please send me some fucking cookies we'll fucking talk about your
0: fucking plate
1: this fucking oh my god well, I don't really know how to integrate a partnership between. Our you know what's companies. so funny?
0: They asked, asked, asked so for they asked for examples of ads,
1: right? And so I like listened to our last episode where we talked about the I Am Sober app or a couple
0: episodes before. And literally I'm listening to the ad and I'm like, it's I was like, it can calculate how much money you saved on drugs. Dave's like I don't believe
1: it can be.
0: you talking against the thing that's taking us <laughs> to advertise. You're like, This thing is great. I'm like, have you ever used it? I'm like, you don't even know how it works. You can't do, you that. Can't do that. You can't just count your days.
3: Fucking idiot.
1: That's what we do with every with every ad. You, like, take this nice <laughs> attempt at the ad, and then I get upset that you're people-pleasing for the advertisers when really all you're doing is actually advertising.
0: Uh. I want to take a walk around the world. I wonder would it do me any good. Watch this airplane just pass me by And I wanna see a Lear Jetliner take a dive Just to show all of these people What it means to be alive But I wanna be good so bad Wanna be so good So bad so bad I wanna be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had and my shadow's getting smaller and smaller And it's time to where I stand Shadow's getting smaller and smaller And it's time to where I stand And I wonder would they pay it any mind When I leave this busted city far behind I'll take the high road However far it winds Because peace and love are very, very, very hard to find And I wanna be good, so bad Wanna be good, so bad, so bad I wanna be good, so bad Bad desire's all I ever had Damn it, all these suckers make me mad And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had and these suckers make me mad, and I want to call my dad. And it's all I ever had, it's all I ever had, it's all I ever had, and it's all I ever had, and it's all I ever had. And these suckers make me mad, and it's all I ever had, and I want to call my dad. And it's all I ever had, and it's all I ever had, and it's all I ever had. <laughs> Dab- dow, nah, oh. ba, down
3: dow, Doub down, down, dump a dump dop a dop, down, a dop down, down down, dop a dop a dop a dop, dop down, down, a down, 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 down